Traveling to consciousness, exploring spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty. What is up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. As always, I am your host, Clayton Kuteri. Today's guest is exploring, oh, not exploring, he is exploring, but today's guest is exploding on social media with his research in consciousness. He is exploring the connection between physics and the metaphysical world. He's the author of a number one selling book about awakening. He's the host of a top 50 podcast about how the universe is just a giant game. And speaking of 50, Conscious Monkeys, welcome to a milestone 50th show with Nick Zai. Before we start the show, I must warn you that there are ads throughout this podcast episode. If you'd like to get the show ad-free, you're able to get access by downloading the official Traveling to Consciousness app. It's available in the Google Play Store and iOS Store. I will note that there is a small monthly fee associated to get these episodes ad-free. And this is an important part. Make sure that any purchases you make, you make on the website, travelingtoconsciousness.com, because products are going to be 15 to 30% more expensive through the app because, you know, the big boys got to get their own check. Even though you're purchasing this stuff through the website, you will still be able to enjoy all this content on the app. Now, if you prefer the free route, you can get a free login on the app, and that will grant you access to challenges and notifications when new episodes arrive discounts, exclusive content, and so much more. All of this just by searching Traveling to Consciousness in your phone's app store, or click the link below. Now, Conscious Monkeys, let's get the show started. Nick, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, man. Super excited. I know this conversation is going to be great, so let's get at it, right? Maybe we just jump right into it, right? Because your podcast is all about how the universe is just a game. I know I came across you because of the law of one with raw. So what I, I feel like also, maybe this is an important part to start because I feel like that could be triggering to people, right? If someone just tells you that this is all just for fun in a game. So I guess like, what's your opinion of that? Like, is, is that supposed to be triggering? But is it a triggering in a good way almost? <laughs> Well, let's start it off uh, with some video game references. Um, a lot of people play video games that are not easy. For example, there's a game called Dark Souls that people are like, yeah, it's kind of fun, but it's ridiculously hard. And I don't really enjoy it, but <laughs> it's better than <laughs> not playing it is what a lot of people come to. And I think when mm. we think of games in general, a lot of the times we think, oh, it's this thing where... It's got to be super fun and, you know, fluffy and things like that. But in from what my experience has been, I, you know, came up with University Game because I played a ridiculous amount of video games growing up. And um, I started to see similarities between the video game reality and this reality. And then I started to see, oh, well, simulation theory is kind of saying the same thing that we're in a simulated reality. And, you know, sim simulation theory is real science. Like, this is... Nick Bostrom 
real scientists coming out saying, you know, we're probably in more than likely in a simulation. And that, that kind of fascinated me. And I went down that rabbit hole and I started to connect you know, the science behind it, the spirituality behind it, the physics behind it, and kind of see that they're all intercorrelated. So for me, when I think about the concept of a game, and I'm, I'm not, just for the record, I'm not completely bought into the way that simulation theory by Nick Bostrom says that it is. I'm not saying that that's the ultimate reality, but I'm saying that there's different parts, different categories in how we study the world that they're saying kind of the same. There's different notes of the same piano, you could say. So I would say that to me, I don't always see games as easy, just like Dolores Cannon has said that it's a school. And um, I think it just depends on our cultural understanding of certain English words, you know, and some people can say it's triggering. Some people are like, yeah, I understand because it's the same premise either way. You know, when people say that Earth is a school, it's uh, you've got to complete the grades, but it's not as fun when you say it's a game. It actually can be quite fun, but it can also be quite difficult. But it's the same concept. You're completing levels. So to me, it's really up to the beholder everybody's going to have a different opinion about whatever you say but i just seem to have found that life actually can be enjoyable and it can be fun but yet it can be difficult and that's actually something you said the law of one the law of one talks about we come here to get lost we don't come here to have it figured out we come here to be in the unknown to be in the forgetting and so i really resonated with that and not just law of one but a lot of different things i talk about but um but yeah i mean it's a hell of a way to start it off but I'm all on board with it, man, because you take a step back and look at it, right? This idea of a game, you know, I have a computer engineering, software engineering background. So whenever I started getting into spirituality and even simulation theory, for that matter, I started looking at it from a computer engineer perspective. And it was so fascinating how like there's so many similarities in our brain and in a computer now where I think that there's probably a small flip and I'd be interested. I feel like you might agree with this. Who knows? Let's find out is there's a small flip that occurs though, where it's like, I, I don't know that I believe that there's actually a physical computer that's running over top of like this constructed reality, you know, because I guess I would see it almost as like the separation or the difference of how we play video games, right? Like we're, we're playing this computer, but then like, there's a, there's a person, there's a human biological entity that's operating this computer and so then you extrapolate that out the opposite direction and it's actually a, let's say, a metaphysical, a spiritual world that's operating this physical reality. Yeah, I've also studied the hermetic principles and hermetic philosophy a lot. Uh, it just became very interesting to me recently. Uh, and one of the principles, there's seven principles in the hermetic principles. And, you know, there's a lot more than just those principles in the philosophy. But one of them is as above, so below. And that's basically what you're saying, that as it works in our realm, it seems as though it would make more sense for it not to just be a computer, but ra rather some sort of creator of the computer. And I would say I would agree with that, that there seems to be some sort of creator, but I think that it is much less personal than people think that it is but it really depends on your definition of god or of creator because there can be multiples and this is a conversation i had on my podcast recently with a guest where like what is god and would you if if i would like let me ask you a question if i were to 
ask you if ETs came down and genetically manipulated the the human body's DNA, are they therefore God? That goes exactly to what you're saying is it depends on your definition of God. And it's interesting because I guess my first inclination is like, well, yes and no, right? It's like they have some sort of creation element over the human race. And therefore you could pertain them as being, let's say closer to God. But I would, in my current understanding would articulate that I believe, you know, God is the universal energy. It's the fabric of nature. It's, you know, what we're all connected to that gives us this (laughs) consciousness, although it then gets manifested in this illusion of separation. So yeah, I mean, what, what is your opinion of, um, if ETs, I'm going to propose the question back to you. So how does that, how does that jive with your interpretation of that? Well, to me, the more I study the nature of this reality, it seems as though everything, not everything, but most things are run on the delegation of authority. And so when we think about the creator, a lot of the times we think that there would be one being that does everything because that's what a lot of Western ideology tells us. But if we look elsewhere in the world, not only in the world, but um, in many different areas, and if we actually look within, we can see that not everything is ran by one thing, but there is some things that are. So that's the paradox of it all. For example, we don't really know a lot of times why. I mean, we can have scientific explanations, but what allows for all these autonomous processes uh, that happen in our body? How does our heart beat itself? How does our body breathe itself? And we can explain that using the authority of the different systems in the body. But then, you know, a lot of different traditions will say, well, that's spirit. That's there, there's something that is keeping that there's an, an underlying field that runs creation. I think that lends to what you're saying, but there is a delegation of authority to maybe a system. Now that's how it kind of works in the human body. But if we're thinking about ETs, I see it as, well, my kind of view on reality itself right now is that the entire universe, the the way that it works is that it is a thought. And um, since it's a thought and everything is a living thought, it's a living, unknowable spirit that is behind all thought. And, you know, many different traditions have tried to describe that. So if it's all a thought, then Basically, when we look at interpretations in books such as the Bible, we see that they say that the word was with God. Well, what if the word was an actually an intelligent being? And um, maybe there were some mistranslations there. But if you start to see that maybe the word actually retranslates back into this thing called the Logos. And actually, the Logos is something that's been described in many different traditions. There's different logos traditions the greeks had their own logos tradition that had to do with nature uh for us well for me let's say i've read the law of one and studied that immensely and that it has its own logos tradition as well and the logo seems to be this thing that pops up everywhere and um to easily describe that i would describe it as the mind the universal mind and so if we start to think that well let's say the field created or somehow we don't really know it's a mystery i'm not saying that i know this is just basically what my current interpretations of what could be are let's say that 
so I, and I always like the premise because I'm like, I don't really know the truth for sure. But throughout my studies, this is what seems to be more likely than not as of now. So then this mind then creates and it goes down and it goes down micro to macro scale. And the way that Love One describes that is you have the universal mind and then you have the galactic mind and they call that the sub logos, depending on your interpretation. Sometimes they call that the logos or the logi as well. And then you keep going down and you have this basically the easiest way to think about it would be the solar system has its own mind. And then the planets, in essence, have its own mind as well. And then everything is basically a mini version of that. So when you said that is closer to God, what you could essentially say is that it's more unified in its understanding and it's able to create and basically be a bigger part of creation. And I think we're exploring that in certain ways right now, but I'm not convinced that humans or anything can create a soul, but rather ETs and these type of beings could potentially create bodies for therefore creation and souls to choose to come into. And it's kind of like you might have, <laughs> I think about it like this, as wild as this might seem to some who are new to this idea of universe being a game. I think about it like I have a Logitech mouse. Okay. Um, the computer I used is Windows. Um, it was, this was created by a different company, um, but it still, still works. It still allows me to control the environment. And I kind of think about human bodies and bodies in general, the same way. It's like, they're not all created by windows or the source that, you know, windows isn't even the source, like who created the computer. That's a whole different conversation. But in essence, I'm getting at that. Like you could probably make a human body, but you can't make humans can't make the person who controls the body. And that's the same concept that I'm saying. That's really, that's really quite fascinating. There's a couple things here that are super interesting. Uh, it was really interesting that delineation you were talking about how the difference of you know the mind, let's say, of the solar system, because I was even looking at it as like the mind of a country, the mind of a state, you know, the mind of a community. It all kind of varies in abstract layers of consciousness. But and maybe we can get to that in a little later. But something that I want to more push this conversation towards is something that we even discussed kind of in our initial meet and greet was along the lines of like this AI robot technology that we're stumbling on. And this might be a good parallel for how you're talking about aliens creating humans. And I know that there's a whole bunch of texts. We don't have to go down this rabbit hole of how aliens may have actually created the human body, but let's stick with the AI because I think that might be something that's more physical and pushing on our frontier. You know, we, see how to articulate this. We are on that forefront of creating robots that are almost, and it seems like they're starting to approach sentient level. It seems like they're spar- they're starting to hit that point of being self-aware. And this kind of ties into that universe thing too, is when I was in college, I took a class called Robot Vision. And one of the first things you learn is, is that in order for something to be aware of itself, it has to have a body. Like there, it's almost like not possible to have a a sentient being without a body. Like it's almost like one in the same, and it presents a very interesting conundrum. I, I haven't looked at it recently, so I'm not sure where the science falls on all that or the logic of that. But I guess where I'm trying to get to, right, is is although we are able to create the physical, let's say, 
computer that is able to be AI, let's say, we're not able, and based on your articulation, we're not able to essentially drop in the actual consciousness that would come into that robot. And maybe I'm stumbling through this, or maybe you have a way that you're able to kind of expand out on this conversation to articulate it further. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so are you asking, like, what is the, what are you in, in terms getting at in terms of, uh, like, are you trying well, to it, talk about, like, ask me if different souls, uh, if there can be souls well, so, in, in AI and that type of thing? Well, it becomes this paradoxical dilemma, right? Is like, if you can actually create the hardware, but then you can't create, you know, that next level of understanding of creation. And with regards, and part of me thinks like I'm trying to be <laughs> too smart about this. Uh, <laughs> um, I do agree we can't create souls, but I- I'm trying to think about how, you know, you can't create that manifestation of where the AI is going to go almost, right? Like you can only create the building blocks. You can only say like this brain is able to store consciousness. And then after that, it's almost like your hands are off of it and it's going to do whatever it wants. Maybe from this lens of the fact that a soul would be coming into it at some point. Does that sound crazy or, or does that kind of like make sense with where I'm going with that? I'm kind of following you, but at the same time, my, uh, my own kind of views on AI is that we can create intelligence that understands how to do things. Um, but I don't really believe that AIs can, have souls such as humans um so it's like in one sense we are on we are actually this is kind of interesting we are not able to be replicated it's kind of like if you if each soul has a unique energy what creates the souls and that goes back even into that. And can humans get to the point where we do that? Uh, I think something can be intelligent. And I think AI is intelligent. But there is a level in which we have to figure out what even is a soul. And I, it's even hard to have this conversation because we don't even exactly know ex- what. We can't measure or quantify what a soul is. So until we have that measurement and are able to even understand that because that's not even what we agree on it's yeah it's a difficult conversation because it's hard we don't even agree in science what generates consciousness for me to say that there's a soul or an essence that that keeps going beyond this this body is not even something that is accepted in most scientific if not yeah most i would say there's probably some out there but most scientific literature. But, you know, there is a lot of evidence for reincarnation and there is a lot of evidence for rebirth being a a thing that is real. But a lot of the scientific community says that consciousness is generated by the brain. And so, of course, people are going to think that they can create AIs that are self-aware because they don't even really know what self-awareness means. Because to them, self-awareness is something vastly different than something created by a source or divinity or something beyond this, because it seems as though we can do that. And I'm not saying that we can't create intelligence and that is uh, capable of a certain amount. Like I think a good example is 
Would you say that Jarvis from Iron Man has a, has a soul? Does is it seems very intelligent, right? It knows how to do things, but does it have a soul? And I think there's a distinction. But again, is this is very tough to talk about. Conscious monkeys, I need to tell you about these psychedelic fabric mushrooms that are absolutely incredible that have just come across. They're all one of a kind and are honestly a perfect trip buddy. They're an incredible addition to anyone's like house or room. You take psychedelics and you have a certain spot that you like to go and relax. You're going to have to check out these Aquarius mushrooms. These high-end mushrooms are made with 100% recycled material and are all one of a kind. Honestly, these mushrooms are something I'm not going to be able to describe in words alone. You're going to need to check out the link below and search to see if you can find one that resonates with your soul. Remember, they're all one of a kind and made from 100% recycled material. Aquarius mushrooms, premium mushrooms for the new age of enlightenment. Get yours today. And with that being said, conscious monkeys, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, that's a... I mean, because honestly, part of me wants to say yes, and then the engineer part of me wants to say no, but... Yeah, this is, you know, this is, it's very difficult to talk about. And I think let's almost make a pivot to like almost reset the conversation because part of me feels like we went too deep, too fast, maybe. So a question that I love asking people, <laughs> I love breaking up. Uh, what was whenever Nick was little, um, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was an older guardian. Uh, I feel like in our generation, we were very pushed towards like what we wanted to do with our lives. So by chance, were you ever asked? And if you were asked, what was the very first thing that Nick wanted to be whenever he grew up? The very first thing uh, for me, there was multiple options. I was never really set on one thing in particular. I was always really fascinated with space, um, with the concept of stars and the concept and possibility of the planets. I, I remember being young and just looking up and really being a wondrous child in the thought of are the there's gotta be other civilizations out there, right? If all these things are real, if what we're looking at is real, in terms of it actually has an existence and it's not a projection like a hologram in terms of because holographic universe is a whole different topic. But it's not a projection kind of like if I have I have a projector literally right behind me right now that puts that puts a uh, stuff on the ceiling that looks like energy and it looks really cool. Uh, but you probably can't see it with a light on. So if it's not that to where it's just a projection and it's kind of an illusion, like if the planets really exist, because there's a whole community of people that think, oh, it's all just BS. And so I'm going along the the thought process of yes it's a real thing and so i thought that at first i'm like well there's got to be much more than what we can understand and so and then i kind of saw all of the how difficult it was to be an astronaut and to go into that and i'm like oh man i don't know if i could do that <laughs> <That's a lot. laughs> i don't know if i want to go that deep because i didn't even think i could because of the my childhood i was uh, we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of resources. And uh, my parents were divorced. I was in a broken family. And we didn't, it never really seemed like it was something that I was, I could actually do because there was such a small amount of people. And I'm very glad that I didn't do that because I'm very happy with what I do with my life now. I'd rather be doing nothing else. That's why this is what I do pretty much all day, every day. 
Um, so no regrets there, but that was good. And then also a thing that I want to be was a teacher because I wanted to help people in that way. But I remember early on, I had a teacher named Mr. D, Mr. Dick and Dasher was his name. And um, <laughs> I asked him, you know, how I know. And I asked him, how much do you make teaching? And it was like, he's, he said, basically nothing. You don't want to do this. And so then I just was like, wow. you don't make enough money doing that. And so that kind of stuck and it hit my subconscious as a child. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, I probably don't want to do that because you don't make enough money. And then I continued on and I found things that I was actually interested in, such as uh, different philosophies, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Law of One, uh, Hermeticism, uh, science, quantum physics, many different things. Spirituality, non-duality is a big one, too, for me. So... As I found these, I'm like, well, I can talk about these and I guess this would be teaching, but it's almost like it's not teaching in the in the traditional sense. Like I, ha I have classes, like I just did a Metaphysics 101 class and a lot of people love the class. I'm like, I guess I kind of am a teacher now in, in some <laughs> respects, but it's interesting because as I continue down this path and especially in the way that we share now, I don't have to be one thing. Like I can be a researcher, I can do my research, make videos, and then I can teach classes, and then I can go on retreats and and explore different things, and I can write books, I can be an author too. And so that's what I love about our time period. You know, you don't have to be only one thing. Now, my um, my girlfriend is kind of the opposite of me, where she is very niche. Like she likes to do this is what she is, and she teaches this, or she might do this, but to me. Um, and I think that might have to do with human design. You know, human design is a whole nother rabbit hole, but you get to decide. And those are kind of astronaut, maybe not really at first, more like just space in general was interesting. How can we access it? I was surprised that, you know, when I started to study history, how we had achieved supposedly going to space 60 years ago and we're not on other planets yet. It was kind of confusing to me. And then I started to understand the technology behind it and how we don't have the technology, which I don't <laughs> think is necessarily the case. It's like in the public sphere, we don't have the technology. But I think that te the technology exists and we have a lot of people working on anti-gravity. We have Nassim Haramin, we've got David Wilcock and these other leaders in those fields who are getting us to that point. So I think we'll see hover cars here relatively soon in my opinion whenever they want us to have them <laughs> whenever they can make them run on oil <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> well i think it's just that the reason why we don't have them yet is because uh we ain't ready uh humanity ain't ready as a collective and i say that because That's... we're still you know, according to dr hawkins we haven't reached a certain a certain threshold as a collective consciousness as a mind you could say the human collective isn't there. And so if we were to be given these things, a lot of times there's a lot of civilizations that supposedly fell in the past because they had access to stuff before their level of consciousness was ready. That's the mm. whole story of Atlantis to me is that they fell because they tried to decree, they tried to create life, but they didn't have the level of consciousness to do it in a harmonious way. That's something the law of one talks about a lot too. Wow. That's actually really fascinating because it's reminding me of an interview I did with uh, a guy by the name of Ross Newkirk, uh, episode 34, where he talks about, we started talking about like suppressed conspiracy theory, 
suppressed invention conspiracy theories. So it's like along the lines of like Nikola Tesla and his free energy model. Uh, I mean, the countless stories of people who create water power engines and they commit suicide or whatever. Um, and so he kind of was even touching on that same exact thing where it's, he, he, you know, my kind of point at the time, I think my angle was more like, you know, we need to get this stuff out. It needs to get out there. But then he kind of brought up like, you know, it's more, these people might not have been supposed to actually bring it to the limelight. Like they could have been creating these things from their ego. They figured it out, but you know, there's, there's this level, there's this barrier that it was like, wait, we can't like actually let this get out yet. And so I feel like you're kind of putting another layer on that, on that understanding. <laughs> you just reminded me of the TVA for all my Loki fans and uh, the umbrella Academy also has the same concept, the time variant, I think it's association, something like that, where they basically monitor time. And if you do something that's what that's off of that timeline, then you are taken out of the timeline. And that's what it seems like <laughs> might be happening to some of these people, which is kind of interesting to think about, um, you know, that that will start a whole nother thought process and a thought experiment of is there a free will or is there a timeline that we're following like a script? Because that's what they explore in the Loki series is is everything predetermined and we're just kind of following the script that they call the guy at the end of time, he who remains in the show. Right. So, spoilers. Sorry, bud. If you haven't seen it now, I don't even feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> that got spoiled. But anyways, uh, for me, it's an interesting thought experiment because one of the things that the Loki series brought up for me is that things don't have to be the same all the time is an easy way to put it. That's something that I think it was a uh, Max Planck or at it's if it wasn't Max Planck who created the Planck length, uh, you call it Planck Planck, however you want to pronounce it, is basically the smallest length that we've ever discovered in the universe. I'm 90% sure that he said this, but it could have been a different physicist, so don't quote me, but it was a uh, quantum physicist that said this is that we can't expect the laws of nature to always remain the same. And we have no proof to say that they will remain the same. And so the thought that Loki explored was, can the time, can there be one timeline and not a multiverse kind of like what the Copenhagen interpretation says in quantum physics. And then something happens to the timeline to where it actually does turn into a multiverse. So in that sense, we don't have to say that it was always this way or it, it, there is a multiverse or always has been. We don't know if that's for sure, but what we can explore is that there might be one at this moment and there may not have been before. So it's interesting to think about. That's that is interesting. I never looked at it in that lens either because incredible, incredible show. And that's really fascinating. You kind of bring that up because I'm thinking of it in regards to my dad and my dad's all into this stuff, like alien, like ancient aliens. He's probably seen every episode 50 times. You know, he's, he's fascinated with all this multiverse type stuff. He, I, we watched uh, everything everywhere all at once. Uh, one of the newer, if you don't know, one of the newer quantum, uh, what's it called? Multiverse movies. And uh, getting out of that show, it hit me. It was like, you know, we have Marvel diving into the multiverse. We have this show movie going into the multiverse. We have all these time traveler movies. We have all these things that seem to be exploding. And it was interesting because I even asked my dad as we got out of there, I was like, hey, like, 
were there ever like quantum, like, I guess not quantum physics for sure, but like any multiverse movies that you guys had when you were a kid? And he was like, no, like this is stuff that's only come up in the last 15, 20, maybe 25 years if a movie was before its time. And I found that so fascinating. And <laughs> it's quite, it's quite interesting too, because there's probably a level of the human consciousness where if you're not aware, right? Like, let, like, let's look at this through the lens of the secret, you know, that movie, if you're not aware how your emotions and actions create the reality around you, then we would be like Loki with that fixed timeline where nobody knows about the vastness. They don't know that they can change the reality. They don't know that they're in control of it. And what if like this whole new idea was that explosion that happens and then all these new timelines are being created? Or what if that's just an illusion of free will and we're actually still in that original, just a loop going around with, the one true timeline who knows that's what we're here to ponder here on traveling to consciousness the podcast (laughs) (laughs) that's what we do here man i do find it fascinating how you were very interested in the teaching realm and then also like the the stars and everything about that and then you know you did you kind of get like pushed away from that stuff or how did you kind of like fall into like oh shit, like I can actually be a teacher and go to the stars kind of at the same time. Do you mean pushed away? Like after I originally did that, why didn't I pursue more something more like that? When uh, Mr. D told you that it was like, you didn't make any money. And so I I felt like you were saying that that kind of, did that kind of push you away or that that was just like a can't be here. Okay. Uh, No, that definitely was like, uh, okay, I don't want to do this. Uh, I'll figure out something else. And then, you know, I was young. I was still in, you know, probably eighth grade at that time. So what I did was I started playing video games, dude. That's where it comes in, man. The connection. I just started. I'm just like, "Mm, video games. I don't really, there's nothing that I really want to do. I'm not really interested in partying. You know, there were kids doing things and I was not really interested in the typical teenage stuff. I played. (laughs) <laughs> way too many video games <laughs> from from a, a very young age and it was kind of just what i did and, and i got so lost into that world and so not lost in a bad way but so immersed let's say that it was just fascinating i started to explore and that's why i think when i started to come into this information I really was open to it because I had played so many video games where there was humans or, you know, not just humans, but you could play as a character that had all these different types of abilities. I played a lot of World of Warcraft and I played that starting at a young age and there was, you know, you could you could be a mage, you could be a shaman, you could be a warrior, you could be a hunter, you could be, you know, a monk. Eventually they added. I think it's yeah, monk. A druid, um, you know, and you druid. can even right in druids and and you know so many different ones. And at the same time, you could go for the death knight if that's what you wanted to do. And so it was just an interesting thing for me to get into because I kind of got into that world and I started to see how it really started to become apparent to me later in life you know because i i I played a lot of video games and 
Then I went to college for, I first went for business management, then I switched my degree to kinesiology, which is kind of the study of human movement, for those that don't know. Mm. And I got really into the body because I was 315 pounds coming out of high school. And for reference, I weigh like one, probably 85. And I'm not exactly where I want to be right now. I'm not there. But, uh, you know, I've lost a lot of weight coming out of high school because I was tired of the just being overweight because I knew this wasn't me. And I think that just being so heavy also kind of put me into video games because people didn't know who you were, what you looked like. And, you know, I got bullied in high school as well. So getting bullied and, and, you know, I was six foot four, three fifteen. So there wasn't that many people that bullied me. Uh, you know, it was, <laughs> I never got beat up because I could beat that absolute anything out of anyone because oh, sure. I was so big. So it was just like the, the oldest kids who were the, like the strongest, but, uh, you know, I was still kind of comedic. I was also kind of took life not that serious at that point and i that's how i kind of developed into you know i to continue on i went for kinesiology and then i got into physical therapy internship and i'm like this is not it this is not it like it was immediate immediately no (laughs) i've seen what i needed to see (laughs) and it was just i let go completely of that and i dropped out uh, with like three weeks left until I got my degree, but I was like, I'm not doing this. There's no way, no shot. I, I don't I don't need a piece of paper. I don't want to waste my time. And I dropped out. And then I actually pursued multiple different things. I went into um trying to sell things on Amazon, drop shipping, you know, entrepreneurship. And then at the same time I went into live streaming video games for a career. That came a little bit later. Uh, but I think my less seriousness really played into my ability to entertain people online. I actually had a decently successful career as a live streamer, but I found that it wasn't fulfilling. And so I had this time period, and I'm skipping a lot of stuff, but I had this time period where I knew that I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was out on the my porch in Michigan at that point, and I... I said, you know, if I'm not meant to do this anymore, I'm meant to do something else. Just, I want to see a cardinal, like right now. And I swear to God, a cardinal just came up right on that patio, like right there <laughs> no next shit. to me, and just sat down. And I'm just like, there's no shot that this is a coincidence. <laughs> I would have to be dumb to believe that this was a coincidence and that this wasn't actually, there isn't some guiding force of some kind. I don't know what it exi- is exactly, but I was already researching consciousness for about you know, at least six months during that, I started to get into that. And, and I mean, heavier, I had been looking at, at stuff for years. And that had been books like change your thoughts, change your life, Wayne Dyer, uh, you are the placebo, Dr. Joe Dispenza. I came into the law of one at that time period. And um, a lot of different books and teachings on non duality, uh, Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, and Taoism is Wayne Dyer's book, Change Your Thought, Change Your Life. So a lot of Taoism in there. And I started to really get fascinated by this stuff. And I'm still teaching it to this day. You know, literally, I just put out a video about Hinduism and reincarnation today because I don't really see that many people talking about it. And it's interesting because I 
I would love to see more people who are able to link this because I think that's kind of the future. Linking, okay, so what does Hinduism say about reincarnation? What does Dr. Even Stevenson say? Ian Stevenson at University of Virginia. What does he say about reincarnation? And, you know, we can talk about some of the evidence of that if you'd like. Uh, and so it just continues on. But I think that it's all coming together now in the different traditions. And that's kind of been my journey to where I am now. Conscious Monkeys, I need to bring your attention to this company that I've been using over the past few months and probably longer now if you're hearing this, that has absolutely changed the way that I'm actually interfacing with the world. It's a company by the name of Conscious Technologies. And what they do is actually create these harmonizing units. And what it does is it actually takes the rotation of EMF frequencies that are in your area and harmonizes them. They make them in line with the true natural frequency of the universe around you. And they're incredible products. I actually went and I've tested out their quantum flow unit. I've tested out their meditation bed, their core harmonizer. And quite frankly, they were so incredible that I actually bought the cell phone EMF harmonizer for my cell phone. I was also lucky enough that Ross threw in a necklace as well. So I've been wearing that thing. And quite frankly, I'm even wearing it to bed and my dreams have become so vivid and just intense that it's pretty insane. I honestly feel so grateful to have it. Their mission is to bring forth technologies that support the harmony of mankind and the world at large. Go check out their stuff. I mean, looking's for free. And if I'm being honest, if you click the link below and make a purchase, I do get some kickback. But quite frankly, I wouldn't be promoting it if it didn't work. So with that being said, go check them out. Conscious Technologies, LLC. Link below. Now, let's get back to the interview. It's pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, down to jump into it as see fit. Uh but the, the whole reincarnation thing is something that has very much perplexed me as well, where you hear these stories of kids who like remember past lives. It seems like it's between like the ages of three and six. I mean, even myself, I, I had this whole thing with like, uh, it was, it was probably, I mean, it's all relative, but in my opinion, a bad, uh, a bad, what would you call it? Oh, addiction to like porn. And I did this meditation to kind of like, this was my first experience with even the Akashic records. Cause I'd like just heard about them the day before I I'm like, all right, like what's cause I was on this whole trip of like, okay, everything that is in my reality is a factor of trauma that I have experienced in projecting outwards. And when it came to porn, there was like a very specific category that I was drawn to and where it got interesting was, is like, I could not remember one thing like in, in this life where I would be attracted to this kind of porn. Why? Or like how it like didn't make sense to me. And I came across the Akashic records, did like a records meditation where I basically just meditated and, you know, whole thing where you're in a library, you open up a book. And this is where I first got introduced that there was like this sexual trauma that happened in a past life um, where like I lied to a king and it was so crazy. I get out of that meditation. I can go into the whole story, but I get out of that meditation and I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> I'm sitting there like, what in the hell did I just experience? I was like, did that happen? Like, was that real? Like, this doesn't make sense. And it didn't dawn on me until maybe about two weeks later when I grabbed my phone to like watch porn again, that I hadn't watched it in like over two weeks, which was like the longest span probably in, you know, forever in my mental capacity. And that's whenever it got real interesting where I was like, okay, so 
did this event actually occur? And did I do something to, let's say, heal some sort of energy within my body? Or like, like, did I just make that up in my head? And where it gets interesting, and this kind of ties on to what we were talking earlier, is because it's like, it's like, it's like defining what's real, right? Like, if you can imagine something, then it's real. So, you know, that's where it gets really fascinating. And even with this whole reincarnation idea of how you kind of carry these things over almost into your next incarnation of, of learning, like the school you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, many different traditions uh, say things about rebirth. It seems to be only really, well, there's, there's actually a decent amount. I think the main ones are like Islam, Christianity and uh, Egyptian mythology, as far as I understand, and philosophy, they don't really get into, you know, they have their afterlife, but you don't really come back as far as I know. And so, you know, in Moon Knight, the show does explore how he does come back from that, from a near-death experience. And that's an interesting look at that. So you start looking at how some of these cultures had it, some of them don't. And what is the evidence? And I, I wrote it, I wrote about this extensively in my book, uh, 10 Secrets of Awakening, where I did, I dedicated a whole chapter to this because it's such an interesting topic to me. And I talked about, like I'd mentioned, Dr. Ian Stevenson and how he would, he had found thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands of children who could remember their past lives. And it wasn't just that they were told their past life, but they could solve crimes that were unsolvable. Like they were able to find yeah. where their their body was from the last life that nobody knew. Their parents couldn't have told them. But they're like, yeah, it was here. It was over. Go go look over here in the woods underneath this. This is where it is. And they find it. And it's like, how do you how do you refute that from a scientific standpoint? Because nobody could because people will start to say, well, he could have just told him he was this in his other life and this. But if they're solving things that are unknowable by anyone that no one even knew that, then it starts to get kind of like you got to take this a little bit serious. So when we think about reincarnation, I think that's some of the biggest evidence that we have that children can remember. And I kind of think about it like before the you know, a lot of people call it programming these days, which fits well into the university game uh, <laughs> kind of field there. But the before analytical minds get too caught up in or are basically they form to even say it simpler. When you're a child, your analytical mind is not formed until a certain age. And it seems as though at a certain age, a lot of people will lose that ability. So that's why it's children in particular, because most adults have too much that they can't access those memories. And so I think it's really something to contemplate that this is possibly a thing. And then what implications does that have for your previous life? You know, I've actually behind the scenes for the last literally couple of days, I've been obsessed with this, with getting back into what is reincarnation in Hinduism and Buddhism and how does it work? Uh, because I knew it, but you know how it is when you research stuff that sometimes you'll research something and then, you don't talk about it for a while and then you come back to it and you've got to re kind of rehash it out. Dr. Dr. Joe Dispenza, who is massively popular in this kind of community said that the other day that he has to come back to material to study it again, because 
that's just how things are. So I don't feel bad about it, but I've been getting into it. And it's been fascinating to really understand karma, uh, rebirth, samsara, um, these different enlightened states, and how we can end the cycle if we so choose. And and what what does that mean for the soul? Is there a soul? These other topics. Yeah, I think there's a, I know there's a lot of truth there where you come and revisit material. And I, I bet this is universal, no matter what avenue, whether it's consciousness, physics, how to train a horse, even, I don't, I don't know, but you read something, you go out in the world, you do something, you come back and reread it. You, you have like this different lens on it. You, you see it through a different perspective and you apply it to different ways in your life. And I, I think that's always really fascinating. And so like, even if you have like any books, it's like, just reread them, you know, a month later and you're going to read something completely different, which is fascinating in its own rights. And then to even stick on this whole reincarnation thing, uh, <laughs> number one, this would also fit with the game theory, right? Because even after you die, like in a game, you you respawn, <laughs> you know, you get another life in there. Exactly. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but where so this is kind of an idea I've always had is, you know, if kids were if kids are able to so vividly remember these past lives between the ages of three and six, solve murders, figure all this shit out. To me, that means that they would have probably always been able to do that. And where this gets interesting is, is like, you know, to your point, I know in Christianity for sure, because people get pretty mad <laughs> in the Christianity realm when you talk about reincarnation. But where I find it interesting is like how is it is it possible i'm sure this is possible but where i'm coming from is i have this belief that i think that reincarnation was self-evident to a lot of these areas and i don't know if i have a whole lot of proof for it but i believe that reincarnation was self-evident to majority of the places and they just didn't write it down like they didn't write down like oh this is what happens because if because if you hold a truth as self-evident in your collective consciousness of your community of your life cycle you're not going to write put it into words because everyone already just knows it so why would you write it down in the first place so i'm curious if you think that that has any like where that might jive into the things it could be um i think there's a lot of you know that's how we started with oral traditions and if you're if in your culture you're orally passing things down then you know a lot of people didn't write stuff down um but you know there were certain people that did write stuff down and you know cave drawings and this is how we still have evidence i mean there was not people weren't thinking back in the day yeah we're probably there weren't that many people let's say there probably were some but there weren't that many people that were like yeah our society and everything we know is going to get completely wiped out uh let's write this down <laughs> <laughs> so they're just they're just doing them and they're just like yeah it's it's just what we know just like how much would be left of what we know if everything were to be wiped out right now not that much so people would think we're pretty dumb <laughs> a lot of times you know there's underground bunkers and things but uh you know a lot of the wisdom that we have from these other traditions i i, I think you do have a point there it's possible that they just talked about it and everybody knew about it but then you know, as things started to change, maybe they didn't write them down. And, you know, you can have different truths that are existing within the same culture. Just like in Buddhism, there's about 20 million different schools of Buddhism. <laughs> and so they all understand that, you know, there's a specific core tenets of Buddhism, but 
there are different interpretations of even the soul. Is there a soul? A lot of traditions have no, there is no self. Uh, what does that mean? So, yeah, I do think that the basic premise that reincarnation was probably talked about massively. And as time went on, things just changed. Uh, people had reasons for power, uh, for money, these reasons to not believe in that. Because when you don't, when you think it's just this one, you have a whole different view. I mean, think about the limitedness that you feel if you're like, well, you got to get it. Uh, there's no explanation for why things happen because that's one of the things reincarnation can explain that most other cultures can't explain. Because if you have, they're not even just cultures, but traditions. If you don't believe in reincarnation and you're about this uh, heaven and hell thing that, you know, I was raised Christian and I very much got the, my dad was Catholic. My mom was uh, kind of non-denominational. So I got that whole thing growing up. And if you look at that that point of view, then you can't really explain why bad things happen to good people. Why um, it seems that like uh, children get terrible diseases and and uh, things happen that they didn't deserve. That how do you explain that from a loving God? You can't really. Um, and I haven't heard a good argument as to how you can. And so I'd be open to it. For sure. I'm not saying that, you know, there's not an interpretation, but I haven't found a good one. So when you throw in reincarnation, you throw in the concept of karma, that we're always planting seeds and that if we are to leave these bodies, then those seeds still got to be ripened, you could say. They still got to come. They've still got to come out of the ground and be um realized in the physical that you can't have basically energy that is not transformed just like science says energy you know with every reaction there's an equal and opposite reaction that's been a scientific thing that has stood the test of time for many years so if science believes in that if we just take that a step further and say for every action that you take there has to be an equal and opposite reaction and it doesn't have to be opposite as in negative, but there has to be a, I think counteraction would be a better way to put it. Um, so if you do something, then therefore that is going to be the thing that you reap. And in, you know, I was actually just exploring this concept and I'm probably going to make a video about this soon because it actually just kind of hit me while I was studying this, that the way that we look at the subconscious mind in our today's day and age is exactly how many of these cultures see karma. But people don't realize that the subconscious mind is essentially karma when you look at it at the way that uh, Joseph Murphy taught it and the power of your subconscious mind back in the day. And I think that's where a lot of our modern interpretations come from of what the subconscious mind is. Because people like Joseph Murphy will say things like, well, the subconscious mind manifests everything uh, that, that happens. And it's like everything that happens to you is a response of your subconscious. This is a thing that a lot of people actually agree with. You, know, you have certain teachers who teach this in modern day. Uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about this. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this. And if you start to uh, study Hinduism and Buddhism, a lot of the times it will be kind of the same thing with karma, that you will plant seeds in the in reality. And you could say within you, you could say without, you could however you want to put it. You plant seeds, and then those seeds come out. And a lot of times we wonder, is that 
why is that happening? It's because literally the same reasoning for the subconscious mind that you've planted those seeds in the subconscious mind. So therefore that's, what's manifesting. Like people will say you're tr like you said earlier, your trauma is manifesting. Well then that trauma, a lot of times is subconscious. A lot of people will say, and we don't have access to that. Just like we don't have access to the things that happened in our past lives or in, uh, you know, previously in our life, we don't remember them. And that's, you know, we're not going to remember the exact reason why this scenario might be playing out. Well, that's exactly what karma is saying when it comes to these traditions at the roots. To me, it's like they even will get into specifics of, well, if you're planting the seed over and over, then you're more than likely going to plant the same seed. Sounds exactly like the subconscious mind, doesn't it? So what we're discovering in the subconscious mind is essentially, to me, what karma has been saying for thousands and thousands, probably even longer. Uh, I, I really think that a lot of these civilizations that came much before said and practiced these ideals of reincarnation. And, um, you know, there's a lot of you said earlier, the origination of these societies and were they ETs that advanced them? A um, a movie that really explores that topic is The Eternals. Basically, that these ETs come, and <laughs> they're basically ETs. We find out that they're not just ETs, but these ETs come and give them technology. One of the ETs in general is very much like a technological, he gives them technology, and then he regrets giving them technology too soon in the movie because... It actually hurts them, which is what I said earlier. It's the same concept that they're showing in the movie. Uh, it's the guy who I don't remember his exact name in the movie, but he invents things and it, it's the same thing. So there it is. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. I, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. I think I saw it when it first came out. First of all, I'm loving all the Marvel references on on point. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep up to date with it because it's saying the same things that a lot of times I'm talking about. So I'm like, hey, if you're going to go out there and spend a million dollars to show the concepts that I am already talking about, I might as well watch them. Right. I and then well that way it. you can see a visual like you can see the multiverse through the way that they're visualizing it in Loki or, you know, the TVA, if it's possible or well, these other concepts that we explore so it's just well, fascinating because i think that whoever writes these shows they're getting this information from a source that is highly intelligible and there is some sort of disclosure happening within these shows and i'm not saying that what they say in these shows is not the ultimate truth and it is not the full truth i think a lot of times with every truth they layer in a half truth so that they can say no it's not actually like this but they're giving you little hints within certain places to show you that the this is what's happening kind of like what you were saying with your dad that well they they're covering the concept of the multiverse now and these quantum realms and you know you've got ant-man going into the quantum world and these things there's another reference for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, it's all over. You know, it's like, where are these references coming from? I think there's there's some people that know a lot more than we think giving us information. Well, if you want an anecdotal case study, I'm a fact of it. I took, uh, how long ago has it been? Probably a month and a half now. I took ayahuasca in Peru. And as a part of one of my ceremonies, I was actually in this like space, this very geometric 
space that looked and i couldn't stop saying it i was like this is the mirror dimension from the dr strange movies i said it like over and over i was i was in there and it was like this beautiful geometric ever-changing landscape of colors and it's hard to even conceptualize into words but even whenever i came out of that i like had to rewatch it and there were so many you remember whenever the uh the tower like splits in half and they kind of like fall down the side of it Dude, that same exact shit happened. It like split in half, started curving around. I was like, this is insane. And then even to the point of what you're saying, there are far too many things that are like, oh shit, that's real. Oh shit, that makes sense. And it's something I even see in uh, ancient (laughs) aliens a lot. It's like, but it comes back to that half truth where they'll say this like grandiose thing. And then right at the end, they add something. And I'm like, okay, that's not how this works. Or they made that up or they like make a reference to airplanes or something, something that's just like, so out there. You're like, okay, this, they, they just messed it up with that last sentence. Yeah. Yeah. I, they, they got some, I don't know what it is. And I think that, uh, there might be some reasons why they do that. I don't know what those reasons are, but it seems as though that's the case where they throw in some stuff like Dr. Strange was one of my favorite movies. If you ask me what my favorite movie was for a long time, it was Dr. Strange because of the the way that they did things and the way that they explored the metaphysical realm. And, you know, if I ever am, if people ask me about the astral realm, how does it work? What is it? Go watch Dr. Strange. <laughs> he, yeah. he gets blasted out of his body and he, the astral form gets activated. So then it's not just like this far off concept. It's like, oh, it was there. What's the multiverse? Oh, it was there. You know, it's, it's very interesting. And I, and I love what they're doing at Marvel. Conscious Monkeys, are you looking for a CBD cream that actually works? I've tried many different CBD products and I've really never truly felt like any of them have worked for me. Like maybe there'd be like a little bit of tingling and then it would fade pretty quickly. Then came along Revive CBD. From the first time I tried it on, I could tell that there was something different about this product. I noticed that any joint pain I had was gone within minutes of applying it. And it lasted for significant duration. I don't have an exact time for you guys, but do your own test. (laughs) So if you're still looking for the right CBD cream, then this might be the right one for you. Because if you resonate with my vibe, then maybe you'll resonate with this vibe. I actually kind of just made that up on the spot. So hopefully you liked it. (laughs) Check out the link below. And as a side note, like always, the link below is an affiliate link. But again, I would not be promoting them if it didn't work for me. So hopefully it'll work for you. Again, check it out below, myrevibe.com. Get yours today. And with that being said, Conscious Monkeys, let's get back to the interview. It's really incredible. It's it's hard to take your eyes off it. And I think that's another thing we have in common where Doctor Strange is my favorite character. That first movie, and even like No Way Home with uh, Spider-Man, incredible. Like easily my favorite Marvel character as well. So the other... And I was thinking about bringing this up at some point, but the other thing that we have in common, which you alluded to at the beginning, was uh, this human design concept about being a uh, manifesting generator. And it's something that I'm kind of just digging my toes into, something we've never discussed on this podcast before. And since you brought it up, I'm going to assume you know a little something about it. Um, (laughs) I just revisited it and it was like, it was telling me all this stuff about like how I was attracted to the mountains, which was so true. It started saying stuff about, how like I just need to like sit and wait and like react as opposed to like going out of my way to do stuff and such a parallel I've seen in my life. So I guess I'm curious about like your 
what's the words I'm looking for here, your experience with this whole concept of human design and how does it fit into this bigger picture? So for me, I am in the process of studying and experimenting with human design. It's said that whenever you are first shown human design, that begins your experiment. I have been on the human design experiment for coming up on two and a half years. So what I've learned is, well, first off, let me tell you how I learned. Uh, my girlfriend is a human design expert, and I mean expert. And so she... Might need to bring her on the pod. Knows <laughs> <laughs> She knows all about human design and its intricate details. Now, I've explained it before, and she approves of my <laughs> explanation. So I know <laughs> that's what's important. about it. I'm just not... Right. <laughs> I had to make sure because uh, <laughs> I don't want to go explaining it wrong. So that was a whole conversation. I'm not going to act like I didn't have a conversation. How do I explain this to people? Because I know I'm going to get asked about it. <laughs> and so I've talked about it. You know, we she talks about it almost every day, uh, some aspect of human design. So I'm always uh, constantly exposed to understanding it. And so here's the basics of uh, human design. I would first off just want to tell you that it is much deeper than astrology. I find it much more accurate than astrology, much more accurate than tarot. Uh, it is the system. If I was to pick any system to study the human body, it would be human design. And it wow. is because a lot of the times in astrology, you get people describing very generalities. Uh, the uh, Not even, okay, I mean, let me start again. They get very <laughs> general with the descriptions. And a lot of the times the descriptions are, are of your ego. The whole premise of human design, not the whole, but a lot of it is, what are you beneath the conditioning? That's why they say it takes many years for you to decondition yourself. So I'm in the, what they call in human design, deconditioning process. I'm having some, hold on one sec, my uh, camera's going out of focus here. Do what you gotta do, man. Let me see here. It's a great cliffhanger. Okay, it seems to get better. I <laughs> I saw myself going like blur back, blur back. I don't know <laughs> if it's the mic because it's a little bit closer. I'll put the mic underneath me more. Uh, but so you have a deconditioning process. And a lot of times we have things like astrology who, who not only describe what you are like when you're not yourself or you're, you're fiery, you're this, depending on your, you know, I think astrology does have some truth to it. But here's the thing about astrology. Astrology and the calendar is a whole rabbit hole to go down uh, because there's a lot of people that say that the astrology that we use is Western astrology and it's not even close to what it originally was. So what people think I've astrology is, is, is far in kind of this general, just as though when we practice yoga in the West, it's nothing like what actual yoga, authentic yoga is in the East. So a lot of times these things are taken for monetary means and since human design hasn't been around for that long and it hasn't been as popular it's increasing in popularity it hasn't really been distorted because here's the thing with astrology we don't have the original source and a lot of times when we don't have the original source we don't hear it from the person who got it who created it it's easily manipulated 
So there's other parts of astrology, you know, there's Vedic astrology, there's sidereal astrology, you know, there's certain astrologies that say that there's 13 signs instead of 12. So my point is that I, when a lot of people are going to hear this conversation, they're going to think about astrology. And I just want to say off the bat, it's nothing like astrology (laughs) in that sense. The only way that it's like astrology is that here's a good way to start it. The astrology talks about where the planets are when you're born human design talks about what the energetic grid is when you're born on the earth so it's earth focused and there's certain gates human design is based on uh the I Ching, which is an ancient chinese kind of archetypical wheel that basically your dna is activated and this is human design is not the only one thing that says this there's also the gene keys which is kind of a done by Richard Rudd, which I really like the Gene Keys as well. But basically the premise is that when you are born, certain parts of your DNA are activated. And um, that's more Gene Keys. And human design focuses more on how your body works. Gene Keys focuses on what your DNA gifts are. And when you get your shadow, you have a shadow gift in a city for each key. So those are two different things. I don't want to get those confused. So it's kind of like, um, imagine that when you were born, you were this height. Okay. So I'm six foot four. I can't change that I'm six foot four. So with human design, it's not something that you can change. It's like, that's just how your body is. That's how your body works. So it's not what I would call a fluid archetype. It's this static thing that it is this way for your body. It's kind of like, if I created a, a certain, let's go back to the mouse. I created a certain mouse. I'm not really going to change how that mouse is. You know, you can mod it, but let's imagine for this moment that you can't really mod it. It's just, that's what the mouse is. So there's many different types and basically where the grid was when you were born is kind of how your body energetically works. And so there's different types. You and I are what's known as a manifesting generator, and they have its certain qualities. And then there is projectors, then there's reflectors, then there's manifestors, and there's these all different types. And each type has uh, it has a certain way that it interacts with the world. For example, your it's kind of called, I believe it's called your strategy. So your strategy and my strategy is to respond to things and you worded it as react. And that's a, that's another way to put it. And so instead of initiating, we kind of react. Now generators are on a class as well. I did say that's one of the biggest classes and one of the biggest things. So I can't miss that, but manifesting generators, kind of a combination between manifestors and generators. And it's kind of like this hybrid. And so, manifestors are i'll just give you a couple rundowns of a couple different ones so manifestors are meant to initiate they just initiate and a lot of the times people don't like it because they initiate new ideas in there and they really get into the thick of it projectors are meant to respond to not really respond they're meant to wait for invitations and people will invite them to do things and when they get invited that's how they they interact with the world and my girlfriend's a projector and i've seen that how that plays out and it is really interesting how she'll just get invited to random things and it's <laughs> actually works it actually works a lot of people will hear that and they're like they just get invited are you sure and it's like yeah if you're in alignment if you're not in the not self 
it it is actually quite interesting so you know those are some different ways and then there's also profiles of you know each person has a profile like i'm a three five profile uh there's six different lines and how those work would be one two three four five six each of those has a different uh a different way that they do things like for example the third line has a trial and error process where they try a lot of things and they experiment with reality now you they actually and that means taking action and trying things and you know you've got to try it in order to see if it works if you're a three five then there's going to be other lines that more study things and they they are there's hermit lines as well where you're more of a hermit so there's just all different things and human design is infinitely complex and i'll never be able to describe it fully so that's kind of some of the basics and i think the biggest basic that i want to hit on is that the way that human design says the body is is very different from what a lot of other traditions say if you've been into any sort of spirituality one of the first concepts you come across is that there's seven chakras and that this is just the baseline of how our body works and actually human design says that's incorrect the way that the chakras work is there's nine and that we actually evolved from seven to nine. And so when you look at your human design chart, you're going to see that there's centers all over the place. Like it, like there's a ego center, uh, there's a heart center. You know, there's a lot of the centers are the same, but there's also different ones that they add in. And so to keep it simple, what kind of determines your human design is your definition as well. And you have certain centers defined and undefined. So what makes you a manifesting generator is that you have what's called an engine. Uh, that's what makes you a generator. And so you might have, like for me, I have a sacral, uh, which means I have Same. my sacral <laughs> defined, which means that that's an engine that I have. Now, this, what makes a projector projector is that they don't have engines. Um, and so that's what explains how some people seem to not have energy or not have the energy that a lot of other people do. It's like because they don't have engines like um, some of society does. And, and a large percentage of society is generators. And the, the way that humanity has been kept down for thousands of years, according to Ra Uruhu, who is the creator um, of human design who had a experience during the harmonic convergence that he basically was given human design. That's how it came into origination. And so when he got it and he, you know, he taught, you can go listen to him teach about it. He's not with us anymore, but basically he said that the reason why humanity is kept down is because the generators were, are basically have been in the past used as slaves and as generators, get to be knowledgeable and understand that's when society will change. And then the projectors are, are kind of meant to guide humanity and as well as manifestors, but manifestors ha are the ones that have manipulated generators for thousands of years uh, because mm. that's just the energetics of how humans work. So, you know, I am planning to have on in person guests that are like, cosmological experts because there's a whole cosmology on my podcast because i have been fascinated by this and like you i also want to know more but there's i'm talking about 10 million different things so i don't get into the specifics of human design 
So by all means, this was just like a, I'm touching the tippity tip of the iceberg with, with this, but that's the general basis that your body works a certain way. You have certain centers defined and undefined. And a lot of times centers you don't have defined has a not, it, it, what it determines your not self, like projectors have their own not self, which is bitterness. That's like the signature of projectors when they're in their not self for generators and for manifesting generators, it's frustration um, is your not self. And so also to kind of hit on, because I did want to hit on what you said, you said that it was talking about mountains and it was talking about that type of thing. Well, to go even deeper into human design, human design says that you have a a specific environment type for your, your human design. So you work better in certain areas. There's markets. I'm caves, um, your mountains, there's shores, uh, there's different environments that you'll thrive in depending on what it is. And it goes even deeper into the way that your brain works. You have four different ways that your brain works. And the so how and I really need I need visuals to kind of describe to you how this works. But basically, there's things called right and left in your brain. And um, if you're right, like I'm a quad right, that means I, all my lines on my brain are right, which means that I have a passive brain. And then, you know, if you have an active brain, you're going to behave and strategize very differently. Um, and so if you have a passive brain, you have certain characteristics and, you know, I don't have to get into those specifics, but it gets into that. And it also gets into like uh, your diet, how your body works on diet. That's when people ask me, what should I eat? I'm like, look at your human design. And and I know that's a really deep aspect and it's hard to just find on a random chart generator. You really need someone to read your human design to tell you these. And, um, you know, Jesse does that stuff and there's plenty of other people who do reading so you can find people. Uh, but if you want to know that, you got to ask them if they know that because there's a lot of people that don't go that deep with human design. So just be careful and, and kind of, you might have to say up front if you're trying to get a reading, you know, what is, what is this aspect? What, this is what I actually want to know. Can you provide this for me? Yeah, because just like in any area, you'll get people that don't actually know what they're doing. So just kind of for do sure. your research on that for sure. And um, and so, yeah, when it comes to your diet, you're going to have certain people that thrive on a plant-based diet, depending on their design. Certain people that thrive on a meat-only, animal products. Um, you know, or you're going to have people that are kind of in both. You know, some people can have dairy, depending on their design. Some people aren't supposed to. So... There's many different energetics. Your body is not random. And I think the key of this conversation is to realize that uh, not all human bodies are the same. I, I, I hope that I hope we already know that part. <laughs> hope we're all aware. <laughs> now we're all aware. Right. right. But it's but just, just to a whole nother level, hopefully. Than yeah. we thought, you know? <laughs> no, it's crazy. And I mean, I think my food aspect, that was probably the only other thing that I remember was uh, that it's cold. So I, I guess I got to focus around cold foods or something. Um, but it, I, first of all, that was a lot more than just a general overview. <laughs> Definitely gave us a lot there. Uh, <laughs> so I'm curious then, you know, you're saying you're two years into it. Um, so like what, how have you seen that transform your life then of just being aware of being a manifesting generator? So this is what you do, man. You get on there and you you really dive deep. You have somebody explain it to you in a way they understand. The way that I met Jesse, my girlfriend, is that she came onto my podcast and she talked about human design. And I'm like, holy shit, you just blew my mind wide open. That's how I met her. 
So oh, wow. then we got, you know, later, like eight months later, we, you know, met in person and we just, you know, the rest is history. We've been together since. Uh, so the way that it changed my life is that if I just respond to things, seems shit just seems to go all right. <laughs> to be just very respond. frank, to keep it super simple, it's like if I'm doing what my design tells me to do it and I'm not trying to initiate conversations, like if, for example, if I see someone online and I like what they're doing and my body, it's called a sacral response. If my body's like, yes, you can literally tune into that. And you will, that's how people will say, listen to your gut. A lot of those people have our generators or people that have those engines because, you know, they'll have it. But not only that, because if you don't have those engines like uh, the sacral or things, projectors have a spleen. Uh, my girlfriend's a splenic projector, which means that she her spleen will give her guidance on what is good for her or not. So your body has this intuitive sense. So I'll I kind of know because the sacral is like down by your uh, belly here. So I'll kind of feel into that. And instead of trying to initiate things and come up with ideas out of nowhere, I have found that it's been much more effective for me to just respond to things. And that if you look at my content, that's literally what I do. I, uh, I will make content about all these different types of things because I'll watch it somewhere. I'll find a book about it and I'll just be responding to the book and it just works so well for me. And so I've seen my life transform from trying to like initiate these ideas. And the difference between initiation is like when you're initiating, you're just kind of doing it because your mind's telling you to do it versus responding to something that feels good to you. Um, mm. Which is actually a huge difference. It might sound like a subtle difference, but it's, it's very much changing the way that you do things and the way that you live. And so much can go wrong according to human design. If you don't actually live by your design, like you health problems, your life will basically not very good things because that's how your body's meant to work. So I've seen that kind of transform my life. The more that I just respond to life, the happier I am. And it's, it seems as though just because I can't do things in a certain way and I've accepted that I can't do them. Like I can't initiate. I can't come up with ideas out of my, off of my brain. That's why I love doing my podcast. And I love, I'm having a great conversation here with you. And I appreciate you because you're able to pull ideas out of me that I would not have probably said otherwise because my brain, my passive brain is not able to literally get ideas because that's just how my brain works. And I've seen that play out and I knew that long before I found human design, but it really explained it to me. And um, how that works is like, if I were to sit right now and just think about, hmm, what is this reality about? Let me talk about that. Let me make a video about that. I can't do it. I just can't. It's like it's very difficult. There's a lot of resistance, a lot of resistance, and it just doesn't it just doesn't flow well. The flow state doesn't happen. A lot of human design is about getting into the flow state and uh, really living in a harmonious way within yourself. And, you know, for Jesse, that's more she accepts that she doesn't have the energy that I do. And I'm able to do a shit ton more than she is just based on it. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm more productive. It's just that she, that's the way that her body works. And when she lives in that, she can get so much done in the short period. And, um, that's just, it's, it's worked really well for her. And I started to get into it and I've seen that just 
understanding that has helped me. I, I mean, I don't even know if I would be where I am without the understanding of human design because I wouldn't be able to make as much content as I do. You know, I'm making videos. You know, I used to make them every day for about a year. I'm not doing every day anymore because now I'm more, that was more short form. I did 60 seconds to a, a minute and a half every day uh, videos, but I've kind of endeavored into YouTube more. Uh, and since I'm kind of spreading myself out from Instagram and, you know, TikTok and these other short forms, you know, you just put your energy where, where it feels good. And I love doing short form content, but I know that that's not something that I want to do forever. Um, I would much rather do the things that I'm pursuing. And I think that at, at the time where I started, I liked short form, but it's not that I don't like it, but you just move on. You know, you have cycles in life and you you get interested in more things like you were saying earlier that <laughs> that uh, were the human bodies created by ETs. We had that conversation like that's something that I'm interested in and that I actually had a conversation with my friend about that. I want to start talking about ancient history more and these type of things because it's fascinating to me and it feels good like he mentioned it to me last night and i'm just like in my body i could feel it it was a yes it was like such a yes that i could like i just this joy about thinking about doing it because it just was like that's what's meant for me to do in this moment and so as i'm tuned into my body and i know these things about my body it's much much easier but before you respond to that I drank too much, so I'm going to go literally to the bathroom right behind me and be gone for 30 seconds. So if you just want to, you know, respond to that, I won't hear you. But if you just want to respond okay. to that, I'll be right back. All right, cool. Um, it's super fascinating. Guys, I'll be honest. This is super fascinating because I'm noticing a lot of these similarities like in my life. Like in my life, I have this same exact, what do you want to call it? This response mechanism response mechanism it's it's almost like this feeling where if i reach out to people if i text someone first um it, it's almost like it feels like it's forced sometimes excuse me <laughs> where there's this like this this force of nature where it's like i want to reach out to this person i want to do this as opposed to exactly what I was saying at the end there where it feels like a yes and it sounds like we're both sacral manifesting generators so to me, I'm getting a lot of truth from this. I feel like there has to be a lot of similarities. And so this is going to be interesting where we get into this next piece of the puzzle. Um, and uh, so what I was just filling them in on is how many similarities I'm hearing within your story and myself being also being a sacral manifesting generator. And where I was actually just about to get to is it is it seems like whenever I heard response it really resonated with me because I see that in the outside world. If I, I'm trying to text people first, I'm trying to set certain things up. Like I want people to do something. It doesn't work. Like if I try to do that, it doesn't work. But where I think it's interesting, and this is where I was going to get your viewpoint on it. It seems like whenever it says response in air quotes, it's more of like a, a response to feeling into your body. Like, like feel where your sacral center, feel how your sacral center responds to the thought. It's like, have a thought, feel into the sacral center. If it's a hard yes, then do it. Otherwise, maybe you need to wait on it. Is that kind of how you're, you're viewing this with your creation process? Conscious Monkeys, if you're looking to start your own podcast, I have the two tools that you need to use 
to get that show on the road. And the names are Buzzsprout and Riverside. I'm combining these into one ad because, you know, I've honestly had nothing but the best for them. But if you're going to be using one of them, you might be using the other one. So what Buzzsprout is, is essentially the platform that I use to put my podcast out there. It's the reason you can hear this. That's the reason that I appear on all these different directories. The thing you might also need is that if you're interviewing people, you're going to need Riverside as well. And quite frankly, I'm using it right now to even just record these podcasts because they will even dilate in, dilate in. I don't think that's the right phrase for it. They will harmonize your voice so that it sounds equivalent. So if I start talking quiet at one point, they have a built-in editor that will actually make your voice sound crisp. I highly suggest Buzzsprout and Riverside. Go check out the links below in the description. And like always, these are affiliate links. So I do get a minor kickback if you do sign up with them. However, like always, they are incredible. The support has been on point and they always get back to me. So I highly recommend them. If you have any questions that are there to help. So with that being said, go check it out in the link below and let's get back to the interview. Yeah. So for example, you can reach out to people, but how it would work for you well would be you would respond to something that they're doing or respond to, do I want to do this? How does it feel in my body? Yes. No. Does it feel good? Does it feel like, like, you, you know, some people are like, if it's not a freak, yeah, I'm not doing it. That's yeah. how literally <laughs> you are meant to work. If it's not like a hell yeah, brother, you're not like you, that's like a no in your body. Um, so it's either like, yes, or no, it's, it becomes very clear. So if you're like, mm living within that then it seems to work so you can respond to other people's energy or what they're doing but it's when you're initiating it out of nowhere it, that a lot of the times if it doesn't feel good in your body then yeah it, a lot of times it won't even work out uh, because your energy will go to the person in your not self and then might be able to feel that so that might actually have an effect on it so interesting and yeah and where i'm actually kind of getting get to this now is is like this idea of, and maybe this is kind of just like a buzz thing that gets perpetuated. Maybe this is something that just works for some people and not for others. But where does the idea of consistency kind of lie within this, right? Because as like content creators, you get blasted with post every day, post three to four times a day, make sure you're posting consistently on every platform at least once a day. And like, to me, it's so funny because when I first heard that, I'm like, there's a resistance towards that. So I'm curious with you, if that comes back to this response thing where it's like, well, just like listen to your body of what it wants to post within that day or, and maybe I'm, I'm kind of just thinking out loud here. Um, it, it comes back to like a yin and yang model where that consistency is the masculine energy and then feeling into that sacral energy center within that creation zone is, uh, is kind of that response. Like, should it be about this? Should it be about that? Like feel into that. Um, how do you how do you kind of see that within creation and and this whole like model of what you need to do? That's an interesting question. I think there's people think that it that is static, but it's not. I think there was a time period where if you made more content, it worked. I think always practicing something is good, but at the same time, you don't need to make things all the time because now we're getting into a, a place where there's much more competition than there was a year ago. And people think, well, that means I got to make more videos. But actually what it means is you got to make better videos. So mm. to me at this moment, it's not about uh, making a shit ton of content anymore. It's more about what is the quality of your content. Uh, so as that plays out, 
it can happen in different ways, but it's not even just the quality of it, but it's the energy behind it. Because if we're rushing to do things, then the quality is going to go down. But if you're responding to something, if you're like, like, let's say you do take the perspective, I want to post every day. It's good for consistency, but it doesn't have to be as hard as a lot of people make it. If you watch my content, you'll know that because I, <laughs> I'll post a video of just me talking for 90 seconds one day. And then I'll post a, a video that's highly researched the next day. People mm. tend to think that if I need to make content, it has to be one dimensional or it has to be the same thing every time. But really what people want is to see you as an authentic person once they get to know you and know that you're providing value. You know, I do a lot of coaching one-on-one -on -one with people on how to do social media because I've had a lot of success with it. So a lot of people come to me like I have creator mentorships that I do where I teach you how to literally do this. And one of the tips I always give people is like, you've got to show people that you're going to give people value. But however you do that is your creative process. And there is no right or wrong way to do that. So if you want to do it with green screen background videos, if you want to do it with podcast clips, if you want to do it with just clips where you go on and say how you feel about your, your life, there's another thing in human design I didn't talk about. There's personal view and there's different types of views that people are meant to talk in. There's a collective view. Um, there's pure, uh, there's collective individuals, there's tribal individuals, and then there's collective individuals, not individuals. Uh, circuitry is a better way to put it. There's collective circuitry, tribal circuitry, individual circuitry. So I have tribal and individual. I don't have collective circuitry. So what that means is tribal, tribal people are meant to uplift you and empower you. Uh, and um the what was the first i literally just forgot what the first one was it was collective, collective individual and tribal yeah tribal uplift you individual empower you and collective kind of give you the overview of the collective mm. and give you advice and and so that's also a factor when it comes to how you're talking it a lot of times I'm more personal view. So a lot of times in order to balance myself, empowering people, I will talk about my personal view on things like what has happened in my life, like how I got to this point, um, how I came to this realization. And you'll see a lot of people will talk about that if they have that personal view. So it would be like, man, I've struggled with, this and this is how I got out of it. It was more of like, this is what personally has happened. And uh, other people might say, if they're talking about it in a more general sense, they might say, this is how you get out of this. And they won't bring in the personalness to it. So I think that there's mm. many different ways to relay information. And, and I think my best advice for that would be to just, just post anything that you feel like you want to talk about. It doesn't have to be quality as in perfectionism quality, but I mean quality of energy behind it is really what I'm saying. So what that means is like last night, I'll tell you straight up a great example of what happened. I haven't posted in like two, three days, and that's not usual for me. And I felt this pressure last night to post something. And that was because I spent the entire day researching, not the entire, but most of the day I had other things I was doing, but... My free time was, and my goal when I woke up for the day was to make a video about Buddhism in reincarnation. And then I ran into the problem of in different parts of Buddhism, 
there's different views on the self. And then I got completely lost in, is there a self? Is there a no self? <laughs> uh, is there a no self? It's kind of paradoxical. Yeah. But uh. <laughs> is there, what is the self in Buddhism? And it, and I got so lost, it took me so long, and I spent so much time actually trying to get down to it. I didn't have enough energy left to make the video, and it didn't feel like it was in my response to make it anymore. So I had the option. Am I going to force myself to make this video because I need to make a video? Or am I going to just wait and you know respond to it when it feels good? Does it feel good to do it tomorrow? Yes. Okay. I'll do it tomorrow before the podcast. Woke up, did the video, first try. Sometimes it takes me up to 10 tries, even more sometimes. What in a try basically means that I record something and then I because a lot of times the way I record my videos is I record, stop, record, stop. I'll do a take and I'll redo that take. Because of, you know, I'm human. A lot of people think that people get this on first try every time. I don't. A lot of the times it's not first try. But I waited, I was in response. It was very smooth. I made it very quickly. And it was actually about Hinduism because I woke up immediately, started researching Hinduism because I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to tackle Buddhism first. I want to sit with that I'm a, and I'm going to wait. But mm. I, I know what Hinduism is because I remembered that very clearly. And so since I waited, it worked out. And I realized that it's all my videos that seem to do well are videos not where they're the best information. Because let me tell you, I had a video where I did uh, what did I talk about. I talked about how your DNA can wind and unwind due to your emotions. And I thought that that video was going to million plus. This video is going to pop off. And it got like 100,000 plus, which is pretty good for me. Uh, but I've had videos that did much better. I did a video on Dolores Cannon that I, I had a blanket on my head and I just wasn't even trying. And it was just like, it was so easy. I was just having fun making the video and it got a uh, 1.5 million. And it's just like, that makes you realize that in today's day and age, it's not about qualities and perfect information. It's about quality of your energy. How are you feeling? Are you excited about what you're talking about? Is it authentic to you? And do you, are you being yourself, which is basically the self that you would be if you didn't care about what anyone thought about you and you were just expressing you? So that can happen in a million, billion different ways. But I would say just be multidimensional as you are a multidimensional kind of being. Be multidimensional in your content and just be yourself. And then the rest kind of just all happens naturally. <laughs> it's It's so amazing you say that because... I after our meet and greet, um, I started experimenting with going back into some old uh, what are they called podcasts of mine and actually pulling out clips. And there was one I kind of just like made and I well, there's I think I've made three at this point. Two of them I like super over. Maybe I made four, but majority of them I like super over analyzed. I'm like, what's going to hook somebody? How do we get somebody in there? Like, what's how are they going to be staying? Like at this point, are they going to be staying here? Like, are they going to still be watching at this point? And the three that I did right. that with you know, metaphor, like comparatively flopped, but the one that I like I made and I was like, this is my favorite piece of content that I've ever made. I was like, this is sick. I love it. It, you know, for my account, it was like the biggest piece that I've put out to date. And it's, it's so amazing that it's like, you know, that just bringing that conscious awareness to it, just be like, it doesn't matter if nobody sees it. And I even said that <laughs> it's so funny too. I even, after I finished making that thing, I was like, I was like, I don't care if any, no one sees this. Like, I know this is my favorite piece of content I've ever made. So like, fuck it. And it's amazing. Exactly what you said. It's like, it goes off and does so well. 
yeah, just got to let go a lot of times. There's a lot of strategy that people have out there. And I just want to remind you that strategy is a lot of times of the mind. And what a lot of what human design is, is getting beyond the mind of what your mind tells you to do in the conditioning of society and of the mind. And I think that's what even manifestation focuses on a lot is how can I create my reality that is beyond societal conditioning? And how can I do that in an efficient way? And a lot of times it takes getting beyond what society tells you. So that's what I'm doing with content. And it works because you're just doing what you want to do. I think when you are finally doing what you really want to do and talking about what you really want to talk about and living how you want to live as much as you can, because, of course, there's always going to be external things that we want. Uh, well, not there might not always be, depending on what level you get to. But for most of us, there's going to be things that you would prefer to be in. I prefer to have, you know, for me, what that looks like, full transparency, is I would prefer to be in a motorhome or a truck and a camper, traveling around, podcasting. And just doing that. That's what I would prefer to be doing. But I'm in this beautiful Airbnb and I'm so grateful for it. And I do the best with what I can. And I'm not focused on what it is. It's like I prefer that reality, but it doesn't mean that this one I'm averted to. It's just like that would, it's more of like an energy of wouldn't it be nice if I get there eventually? And I see it as inevitable that I will get there, but I'm not letting my mind say, well, you're not there yet. Stop me from creating the most high quality content in all respects that I can, whether that's my podcast, whether that's, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of videos I've made about so many different topics on Instagram and, and in short form, I just do the best with what I've got. And as, as, as long as I'm doing that, then that's where I feel like that's success. That's true success to me. It's really amazing. And, and here's where it's interesting is, and I'm trying to, we're both this sacral manifesting generator. So that could be a reason that we're agreeing. Do you feel like that, you know, cause I'm all on board with the idea of, you know, feeling to your body, you should be in, you should be feeling, what am I trying to say here? The energy in which you create something, right? I guess I'm trying to turn this almost into general knowledge but this idea of feeling into what you create if you take into it like this pursuit of love and joy and just creating that thing that you're like this is the best thing i've ever created and it'll ironically work is that a subsequent of us being sacral manifesting generators or do you see that as something that's a universal truth no matter where you fit in this human design archetypes I mean, I think it's universal if you're enjoying something and you really are present with it and it really feels good no matter what, no matter what type you are, if something feels good to you, you know, and you like it, that's it, right? That's, that's success. That's, that's, you know, there's different ways that other people will see success. I mean, there might be some of that, that is my own distortions, of course, it's not universal principles. So for example, you know, a lot of the higher I wouldn't say higher is in a hierarchy, but when you reach states of consciousness such as uh, enlightenment or these elevated states, you no longer are really even doing anything. You're so engulfed in your true state of being through self-realization that you feel love no matter what. So it doesn't matter what you're doing at all. So I think that's actually 
I wouldn't even say that that's human design. I'd say that that's more of a level of consciousness. And the levels of consciousness are something that I've talked about for years, Dr. David Hawkins' work, and we can go into that because that's always a fascinating conversation. But uh, one of the levels is willingness and willingness. And how it goes, just so I can rattle these off for you so you can get an idea. They they go shame, guilt, hopelessness, uh, grief, fear, desire, anger, pride, courage, neutrality, willingness, acceptance, logic, love, peace, joy, enlightenment. So the, it goes. That's so kind of how it goes. And each level has its own energy. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I've been talking about them for years, so we, yeah. <laughs> we got them all down. I messed them up enough times. <laughs> but uh, each one, I didn't memorize the numbers. It, according to Dr. Hawkins, they all have numbers as well. And so your different frequency of your body, a lot of times will determine your perception. So someone who's in let's say neutrality is going to say something and perceive life very differently than what I just said. They're going to say, you know, I'm just neutral about what happens in the world. I'm just doing what I want to do. And that's it. Whatever happens is fine. Someone that's in acceptance is going to say, you know, they've already passed willingness because acceptance is above willingness. So they're going to say, I'm already pursuing my purpose because willingness is about like you have a higher calling and you want to pursue it just because that's what you feel called to do. Um, whatever that, elevated calling might be it might be in business it might be in spirituality it might be in anything really and so as long as you're putting in the effort it's enough that's willingness and when you get to acceptance it's like when you've accepted that no matter what you do it's you're not only enough when you're putting in effort but you're enough no matter what and you've accepted that no matter what you're doing no matter what happens enough and you know someone who's in willingness a lot because that's where a lot of shit gets done i do see that i do have this trap of falling into is that if i'm not actively doing something that i feel like is elevating myself or humanity a lot of times willingness will fall into the trap of it's not enough and then it'll start to get lost in i need to put in effort which is something that i do a lot so i would say in essence, to answer your question, it's not just about human design. I'd say that's more of like a, a principle of your perception. It's almost like a different layer, which is, and that's what gets really interesting. I think whenever you start diving to this point of seeing all of these different ways to almost view the landscape of society, right? Like, you know, there's, you know, that a way to view it is fear, right? Like you can, you can break down the, where someone is in their frequency based off of if they're in fear, joy, you know, and the spectrum in between. But then you have like human design, which puts this lens on it of like, okay, well, you know, this is how you act or this is how you respond. And I don't know. I just find it an interesting mishmash of, okay, if you're in this state and you want to get to that state, then you use human design that then becomes this layer on top of, you know, your, your circuitry almost of which frequency you're trying to obtain. Conscious Monkeys, I've got something out there for all my coaches, anybody who has digital courses, anybody who's creating content, whether it's audio or video, you got to check out SuperPass. 
SuperPass is the super dope platform that I've been using now. And they're actually what has enabled my app to work. It's what's enabled me to start generating income and to help people more effectively. If you are a content creator, you create audio, video, whatever it may be, SuperPass might be the choice for you because they'll provide you with your own app and they have a great online service to also help you out. So I'm not going to put in too much because everything they do is way too much to pack into this one ad. I will say go click the link below because that is where you'll be able to find all the information. This is an affiliate link and I wouldn't be promoting them if it didn't help me. Click the link below and go check out SuperPass. With that being said, Conscious Monkeys, let's get back to the last segment of the interview. Yeah, human design, how I see it is human design kind of niches it down for you. So Mm. if you are a certain, let's say for manifesting generators in particular, just because it's my experience, you look at all those and you're like, where am I? And human design will tell you, you're more than likely going to be dealing with anger and willingness. Those are like the two that I MG in my own experience, those are like the two that we experience the most. And it's kind of like, that's the duality of those two. And so you might have a, another type, which might experience different emotions based on their body. So they still kind of are in harmony, but it kind of narrows it down and says, this is more than likely how you're going to interpret reality. Not only that, but trauma. You might interpret trauma differently based on your human design. And so you kind of can understand that. And back when I was doing, you know, I used to do courses and stuff on these different topics. And I did a did a course where I talked about how each emotional frequency has a repressive and reactive. So like for me, I am very reactive when it comes to like anger, but my girlfriend's repressive. And so we can start to see that and understand everybody based on almost the language of the different levels. And that's something that I would like to talk about more. I haven't done very many videos on YouTube for the levels of consciousness because just going to come out and say it. The, the reasoning why is because the map of consciousness they take down your videos if you use the map uh, because it's copyrighted. So I mistakenly as a, as a, you know, just let's just share a spiritual truth, right? Well, they take down your videos. So you have to be very Jeez. particular about how you talk about it, which is, which is unfortunate to me. And, uh, you know, real, I went through a whole dark quick. end of the soul of why are they doing this? Real quick. Was that yeah. where it's like pointing out, like, once you learn about this, you go to learn about that. And it's like this huge, like PDF almost. Is that what, is that what that is? It's like the road. So to specifically. So it's specifically there. Dr. Hawkins trademarked the term map of consciousness and the numbers associated with each frequency. Uh, so you can't, okay. you can't use a visual aid that has the emotions with the numbers. And that says the map. You can still talk about it, but uh, that's kind of why I actually did have multiple videos on it, but they all got copyrighted. So if you look at my podcast, you're like, well, why are you missing episodes, Nick? Why is there no episode 23? (laughs) It's because that's why. So I've learned my lesson. I still like talking about it and not this is not in any means discredit Dr. Hawkins work because Dr. Hawkins I don't, he's not even with us. It's not even him doing the strikes. Uh, so don't ever say that it's him. I would, it's something else. 
I don't even really care. His work is some of the best work and most profound work that's deeply impacted me. And I have nothing but love and respect for everyone, even at the people that are that are doing the striking, because I understand that they don't want people coming out and misinterpreting his teachings. And, you know, do I think that they should do it? You know, that's my own thing. And I don't need to share that. But uh, I understand some of the reasoning why they're doing it, because they don't want people to just come out and say, yeah, this is what he taught. And it's all complete BS. So it kind of makes sense to me. I think that they should they should have some sort of certification or some sort of teaching thing that you can get where you're actually taught it like other things do um, where you can start teaching. it if you'd like, they don't have that as far as I know. So it's unfortunate, but I think a, if you're looking at studying his work, it was highly, highly recommended by me. He has books like power versus force is a really good book. The levels of consciousness transcending levels of consciousness is actually what it's called. That's a fantastic book. Uh, Letting Go by Dr. Hawkins is great for releasing emotions and energy. Uh, then he has more non-duality books like IVI and these other teachings, which are also good. It just depends on what you want to learn about. And to anyone out there that is trying to study and what do I study next? It's just what feels good to you and what you kind of just pick one, you know, and it depends on your human design, of course, but you can still, you don't have to live like, what is my design all the time? Like you can just follow what feels good. I think that in general, if you just follow what feels good in your heart, I think that's a universal principle. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's very fascinating. Um, yeah, because what I was so to kind of shift the shift the topic, we'll move it away. Uh, there's like this huge map, and I don't know. I don't think it's trademark. I'm not sure if there's like a specific people who have it, but it like it's I don't know. It they sell it as like a wallpaper or something. And it has like all the interconnectivity to it. You're talking about the awakening map, the 5D awakening yes, map. Yes, yes, that that thing. The Great Awakening is, map. Is that somebody's like called. in particular? Like, how did that thing come about? Because it's yes. pretty fascinating. How if you just like pick anything on there, it's like oh shit. Like, and then looking at my journey, I'm like oh shit. Yeah, like this is kind of the path that I actually followed myself. So it's actually quite interesting that you literally mention him because i'm having him on the podcast uh the creator of it i've been friends with him for a long time he is an amazing guy he created the map he has a page called 5d awakening consciousness he started following me when i had like a thousand followers on instagram and we just kind of been following each other and liking each other's posts and so i don't have the specifics exactly of how mm-hmm. it came about and stuff i'm gonna ask him about it because i'm also fascinated in the map because there's so much information on that map it's ridiculous how much uh went into it and how much he knew how much he researched so um i'm not exactly 100 on how the origins of the map came but he is an interesting fellow and yeah, I used to have one of his maps. You can buy his maps and put them on your wall. I used to have one when I wasn't nomadic, but then I went nomadic and I'm like, I don't have anywhere to put it. And then, you know, I don't, don't want to ruin it and take it with me, but it's uh, definitely a, and a thing that I think every, everyone who's on the awakening path, it's, uh, it's a great practice to just go look at the, I think it's actually called the great awakening map. If you just go look at the map and look at all the different topics and you see the scope of this reality and, uh, you just start looking and picking things that you're like, Oh, this is interesting. I'm going to explore. And yeah, it's a great map. Yeah. That's, um, 
I must be like, I must follow him or something. Cause I know I've seen it like every now and then. And, you know, to your point, I think I had to like something happen where it's like, it, you can't even, it's so complex that you can't really even like zoom in almost like on it. Like if you go to his website or something and try to like zoom in, like it's so pixelated because of like how much, just how much information is on this thing that I'm sitting there just like, fuck, I guess I got to buy this thing so I can see like every single quadrant <laughs> kind of together in a sense. Uh, but it's so cool. So, I mean, we can even just leave that as a teaser for uh, whenever you're going to have them on your podcast. Yeah, I'll let you know. I'll report back and, you know, I'll update you on, you know, how that goes and what he's like. And I haven't met him in person and I'm not going, I don't I think he's like, he's in Asia, okay. somewhere in Asia, in one of the Asian countries. I think he's in Thailand, maybe. I don't know. I have I could be completely wrong. And even if, yeah, I, I have no idea where he is, but I know he's not in America. That's all I know. Cause I can see the backgrounds of sometimes when he posts stuff and it's not anything like American that I've seen. <laughs> so, uh, but, but yeah, he's a, he's an interesting guy and I wonder how he came across it. And, you know, if someone wondering what are some of the topics on the map, you know, there's things like free energy, uh, rainbow body, Tibetan rainbow body, Samsa- Samsara, the cycle of reincarnation. Um, it gets into a lot of the more heavy, dense stuff about the nature of this reality, more of the negative, but it also talks about the very positive aspects. It talks about you know the rings of Saturn possibly being certain things. Um, the It also talks about how there's different maps, right? There's another map that talks about how there's certain cycles that we're going through and certain timelines and that certain things for humanity have to happen. And it's like, first awaken the masses second, we reach a certain thing. And then, you know, it continues on to where we eventually move into this. That's archetypically called 5d. I myself am not the biggest fan of the 5d. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm going to talk to a guy who's about that life, but I'm, I, I see a lot of the times that, 5d gets kind of skewed into a hierarchy by people who are just getting into it uh and they think they're better than other people and that Mm -hmm. it's the only thing and then they haven't went through the hero's journey to actually understand the nature of this reality and they haven't went through the darkness and they'll just be like 5d it's all there is let's go 5d (laughs) love baby and it's like they haven't went through the deep uh, dark night where you really have to come to terms with the negativity or the darkness and understand that it is one end of the magnet. You can't deny it. And that's what I see a lot of people in the 5D community doing innocently. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. But um, at its core, the, the concept of 5D in terms of an emotional frequency is something that I used to link to the levels of consciousness too. that, you know, basically 5D, if someone doesn't know, it just means love, joy, peace, enlightenment to me these higher levels of consciousness. And I think the whole premise of 5d is that we're going to get to a point where we as a society are there and we're all in that place of love and stuff. But I don't, I'm not one that's like, I don't think that's going to happen where we're all there. I think there's going to be, we're moving into the 4d is what they call it. And I think of 4g 4d just as like, you're no longer in lower levels of consciousness. You're kind of in this logic, intellectual reasoning, kind of higher mind instead of the lower mind. 
and you're beginning to understand, you know, courage, neutrality, willingness, acceptance, these things, but you're not in the frequency of complete love or joy or peace. And according to Dr. Hawkins, a very small percentage of people actually make it to the frequencies of love, joy, peace, and enlightenment in this life and in, in general as humans, that a lot of them make it to, like a lot of our greatest scientists reach the level of logic, which is like 400s. And um, then we get love is where we start to get to sages and you know a lot of sages get even much higher than that to like 750 and 850 then there's the whole concept of the, the void in enlightenment that there actually is a void and it actually lines up to law of one a lot with what they say in there so that's what i love about researching many different things is like i'm not limited to what one text has to say i'm not limited to what one person has to say and i kind of just do my own research and i always recommend don't take my word for it anyone listening do your own research well, and see what you come up with. Well, I'll back you up here a little bit. Um, Cause you're, this is actually the first time I heard of the void and it, I, it screamed to me to share this uh, situation when you said it. So to set this up, right? Like, you know, the way we're talking about these frequencies, I believe it's important to note, um, feel free to dispute this if not, but you know, we're always kind of moving in between those frequencies, right? Like we're never locked in on one of them. Energy is always changing from different things in our environment to if we're meditating to all this different stuff. And it's interesting too, because, you know, I feel like there are times when I can actually feel in my body that I'm vibrating faster or higher, like whether I'm in a deep state of meditation but where it got interesting was, is this idea of the void. And I actually haven't heard this in probably over a year and a half. And the first time I heard it, um, I was doing some sort of quote unquote yoga. I was just, but I was, it was like a more Eastern version where I was just like laying on my back. And the lady who was my neighbor was like basically reciting some sort of uh, visualization. She started kind of doing some chanting. And it was interesting because there was a point where, um, I'm clear audience. So I kind of like started feeling this vibration increasing and this like sound in my ears getting louder and louder. But then I hit a certain point where like there was just this absence of any sound of any of almost anything. Like it was just absolute like the sound and the vibration just all stopped. And it was for a very brief moment. And then afterwards I came out of it and she was like, oh, like, how was it? Da, da, da. And I like explained it to her and she called it the void. Um, so is that again, I mean, is that something that is that kind of similar to what you're discussing or is that maybe a different void? Okay. So here we go. Down the rabbit hole here. Uh, So the void, the void, the void, there's one thing I wanted to mention. According to Dr. Hawkins work, you actually don't jump frequencies all the time. It's actually rather you have a baseline and a lot of people only go up like 10 to 20 points in one life, which is maybe just moving from courage to neutrality. Like that's okay. how small of jumps that people will make. Uh, but to in, in the same, you kind of, you are correct in a way, but it's just that you're what he described according to his teachings again, was that you have different categories of your life. And so you might feel anger in your career, but that doesn't mean that you aren't in a baseline frequency of let's just pick one uh, logic. 
let's just say that you're in a baseline frequency of logic in the 400s. You get angry one time. That doesn't mean that your entire frequency goes all the way down. It means that you might just be experiencing anger in this one way. But for all the other areas of your life combined, you are still at logic or it might take you down into willingness combined because your sum vibration is not just of the moment like a lot of people think. It's rather it's also a sum total of all your karmic lessons mm. and all the karmic propensities that are playing out and all the different categories, relationships, career, finances, uh, 20 million different categories. Those all combine to make your frequency. So if you're getting mad in one moment, you are going to, you might lower that, but you're not going to lower the whole thing. Just the one perspective to, to, to contemplate. And then we can talk about the whole point of karma and reincarnation and the whole point of going up the levels. What's that all about? But to answer your question about the void, let me go over. You're going to say something. Go ahead. I was going to kind of shift the topic a little bit. So if you're, if you got another thing to add onto the void, go for it. Yeah. So just to answer your question about the void, the void is described as nothingness. There's nothing. There's no sound. There's no anything. Uh, it, it's like completely negate of all of everything. And this is a state that a lot of times that Buddhists thought was the ultimate state of, of consciousness. And in Dr. Hawkins' work, he says that the Buddhists actually made a mistake, that they thought that, that was the end, that that is all, that's what everything is, nothingness. That's why you'll hear in a lot of these ancient traditions that nothingness is the ultimate truth. Not in a lot to be honest, there's more that don't say that than do, but there are some that say that, mostly in Buddhism. But the void, and oh, also Huang Po, Chinese, sometimes the Chinese philosophy gets that mixed up too with uh, nothingness. That's why a lot of Alan Watts used to talk about Zen and what is Zen. You know, but again, that's a different direction too. But <clears throat> The void is essentially nothingness, and you can transcend the void with love because the void is negating love. It's because when you don't recognize, it's kind of like when I said it was relating to the law of one. The law of one says that there's the positive and the negative up to the sixth density. And at the sixth density, the negative can no longer go on because you can no longer refuse the other end of the magnet because the positive accepts and loves the negative. But the negative does not reciprocate that. So the sixth density is such a unifying vibration that it must accept the positive. And you literally, there's not been one known entity to ever make it far along the sixth density path. Because at the beginning of sixth density, as negative, you have to, you can't go any further. So when we say the void, what we're saying is that. If you negate everything and you negate love too, because that's what the negative does, you will reach a state of pure nothingness. When you transcend that state, I think that I think the nothingness in the void is calibrated. I think it's I don't remember, it's been a while. It's it's probably somewhere seven fifty to eight hundred. It's in that area. The levels go all the way to a thousand. A thousand is the top of enlightenment that the body can take before it turns into a Tibetan rainbow body, uh, essentially. Which is crazy. In its so, yeah. So when you have 
get when you get past 800 you start to incorporate love because love is a innate quality of the presence of god or divinity as you can say you can say god you say the creator we talked about how there's probably a creator of the simulation i don't like to use the word god because people start to personify god and they think that it's a person so that's why i don't it's not that i don't believe there's a creator but when i say god people start to think that there's this dude with a beard as billy carson forbidden knowledge would say there's no sky daddy he used to call it a sky daddy that's what people think that there is but i'm not insulting it by any means it's like that's really what people think there is there's a, there's a dad in the sky that decides everything and I, you know i had a large portion of my journey where i thought the same thing but as you get on in this field you open up you see that there's much more than we could possibly imagine and so the the answer to the question is is that beyond the void it's a love that we cannot comprehend uh we can't describe it really even as love i think love is a close estimation but what i would say is that it's a unifying love that is completely unconditional that never ends and never goes away and that is within us all but we just don't know it and that is what the universe is it's a game of thinking that you are not love. It's a game of believing that you are not love or that you don't have that within you and that it's not always present. And that's why I think a lot of times when we think about Hinduism and Buddhism, getting out of reincarnation is realizing the love. And that's what Law of One even says, 50% or more in service to others. That's, that's how you move on from this density. They're saying this, all three are saying kind of the same thing. You know, they call it different things. They say you got to do different things. There might be certain stipulations depending on Buddhism, Hinduism. But to keep it simple, love is essentially what we are experimenting with. And I think that people think through my research that this is not supposed to be this way. But I would say that it is supposed to be this way, that we are on track, that Earth and humanity is exactly where it's meant to be. Because right now, think about this is just a thing that I really would love you to contemplate. Think about how long. Humanity has been in a state of perpetual war through the thousands and thousands and thousands of years. How many wars have been happening? Now, if karma is a real thing, if it's a thing that many different traditions believe that, oh, this is actually happening. And again, equal and opposite reaction with science are kind of saying the same thing in science. If this is the thing, then what's happening is that we think oh, why are we not in harmony? Why are we not doing this? Why are we all against each other? And why is there all these bad things happening or things that are not optimal? In Buddhism, they would call this unwholesome karma, that we are have unwholesome karma that we have to play out for thousands of years of offing each other, from getting them swords out and just <laughs> hacking away at each <laughs> other and many other things probably energy weapons that we don't even understand that we used in ancient civilizations. And so there's much that has to be alleviated and there's much love and forgiveness despite the circumstances that has to be had for the human collective in order for us to get to the state of harmony. 
So what's happening right now is something that Dr. Hawkins used to call, it's a maximum opportunity for karmic growth at this planet. If there wasn't an Earth, you'd need to make another one because there's so much karma that needs to be alleviated by the planet and by everyone. Not by the planet itself, but by the humans on the planet that have done these things. But it's not as though those things are bad. It's just how it works. If I put you in a game in medieval times and it's kill or be killed, a lot of times you might even just do it because it's feel like it's what you have to do. So we learn. We continue to evolve. We continue to come into these bodies over and over until finally we realize we don't have to continue the eye for an eye mentality. And that's one of the biggest things you can do to reach integrity or courage or these higher states of consciousness is not play the game of the ego of the positionality of an eye for an eye. Because if you can somehow step out of that and forgive and love, no matter what they're doing, because they really don't know what they're doing. If people knew what they were doing, they would do it, right? If the people... Uh, that's what I believe, at least. People really knew that they were hurting themselves when they were hurting others, like legit themselves. Why would they do it? If they really knew the harmony that existed within all beings, literally within them, and that it is accessible at all times, no matter what happens outside of them, if they knew that, would they would do it. Or they would at least, you know, it depends on the trauma. I'm not saying immediately i'm saying if they came into the game i'm not saying if you told somebody that this was the answer because ascended masters have been trying to do this for thousands of years but i'm saying if you had rules when you came into the game or if somebody gave you a a, a piece of paper or anything that said this is how the game's played this is what's happening love is the answer this is how you alleviate karma people would do it not only just to alleviate the karma but because that's what feels good to us. But we just don't realize that it feels good because we think that if we get this ego juice of doing the eye for an eye, we'll feel better. But the, in truth, we'll feel better when we actually love and forgive them because we realize that it's not about them even. It's about all of us together and harmony and unity. And I think that the, you know, once we come to that realization through suffering as the catalyst, because that is what gets us there, is suffering unfortunately and fortunately depending on your point of view a lot of times people won't listen if i told you love's the answer for every problem in your life you don't need to pursue anything because it's all right here you'd be like okay buddy but you're going to go probably still go out and try and pursue it and you're going to suffer along the way and there's nothing wrong with that and i'm not saying that i am fully there because i'm definitely not but you go through life and you suffer more and then the suffering in itself is the catalyst for you to let go so suffering is serving us but the suffering comes as a byproduct of forgetting in this planet in general so we are we're i feel like we're right on track we're alleviating the karma it's just going to take a little bit of time i'm completely on board with you and it feels like this is something that is difficult for people to understand and through my personal experience and research i think it might come down to whether or not you believe in the idea of reincarnation, because this was actually something that I very recently like kind of touched on was like about these bad things happening to people. And, you know, people get very defensive about it. It's like, how could you possibly say that bad things are needed in order to, to like, it's a very interesting conversation that has been coming up a lot recently. It's like this idea of, you know, the karmic cycle, right? It's like, it's like, how am I supposed to make progress if I don't understand the repercussions of not making progress or maybe better put, how do I know that love is the answer if I don't experience what it's like to not take action out of love? You know, even in our human design conversation, how is it that I'm able to understand that I need to listen to my gut feeling 
if I don't actually, how do I need to know, how do I know that I'm in my response? If I'm, how do I know that I need to act out of my response if I am always trying to initiate, right? Cause I have a whole, a whole bunch of probably a, a file full of examples of whenever I've tried to initiate and it just falls flat on its face. And I've learned from the response that it's like, okay, like I just need to wait for my body to respond. And so, you know, I guess maybe I'm just trying to propose this as a, uh, as a, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here as kind of like a yellow flag to just make sure that when you talk about this with people, make sure they're on the page of like reincarnation being a thing, because if people don't believe in reincarnation, then this whole idea almost falls on his face, doesn't it? Because then you get kind of trapped in this whole ideology of like good things happen to bad people. We can't explain why, but like, you know, nobody's supposed to suffer, you know, and it, I can already feel it. It comes from a lower place of consciousness, a lower frequency of, of being. And where am I trying to go with this? Do you have something to add? Or do you, or am I, <laughs> I don't know. I just got this feeling yeah. that you had something. So to add. yeah. So if you think about why do good things happen to bad, why do bad things happen to good people? And how could people deserve this? I think one of the only things that does explain that is reincarnation, as we talked about. But a, a, a concept that I want to really hammer home is that as difficult as this might be for some people to hear and as controversial as some people might think this is, it's my truth. We can never assume the innocence of anyone in terms of karma. Uh, we don't really know. We don't know. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you can realize is that people think that how can this happen to children because they're innocent? And it's like, but how do you know that? That is the thought experiment to really think about. Because if you are saying that they're innocent, you're really, you're really just, you have no solution as to why it happens. And I want to remind people that it's not only karma that determines this. And I think if you haven't made it to this far in the conversation, you might get salt in the comments and I've already commented. So I'm just going to go back and, you know, it's fine. It's just the way she goes. <laughs> but I just want to <laughs> say one more f factor that also determines this, and it is choice. And it's choice in the sense that there's a whole it, depending on where you're coming from, if you're, there's a lot of evidence to say, let's just say this, that Dolores Cannon, Dr. Michael Newton, many lives, many masters, there's these past life reincarnation, not even past life, but they're type, they're tapping into simultaneous time where they were in the spirit world pre prior incarnation, but they're experiencing it in the moment. And they realize that they might've chose this situation and I want to remind people that when you choose something, it might be for karma or it might be for a catalyst. Not only have I heard stories of people choosing things for karma, but somebody might choose in to come to a uh, might come into a life and 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 leave the body as a child at a young age due to some reason but that they're doing it so that the parents will learn a lesson and that they're not even suffering while they're doing it. Uh, but people think that they are, but 
they're actually it may have a some people call these contracts, but they're coming in to help maybe someone that they care about in the soul or spirit or astral world learn something. Or there's another way that this could be, which is something the law of one talks about, which is a concept called wanderers. People like to uh, commercialize this and call it star seeds, but the true origination of that is actually from this concept called wanderers in the law of one. And what it means is that there are higher density beings that choose to come back into third density form to help humanity evolve. And that they may choose a life that is more difficult, more strenuous, harder, so that they can awaken themselves during the dream or the game. Mm -hmm. And so if that is what they're doing, then they didn't have karma to, to have that happen. So it's not the only thing. It's just one factor in this infinite game that we're playing. So there are choices. You know, Robert Grant, uh, I'm becoming actually pretty decent friends with him. He has a show on Gaia called Codex. And I'm going to be talking to him soon as well. But he told me everything's a choice. Every single thing. Everything that you choose, you knew before you came in. Um, or you chose it during this life. So there is no victim. There is no victims. There is just choice. And you will choose to experience. And a lot of times you feel like you're a victim, especially if you don't understand karma. You'll feel like a victim of circumstance because you'll think, I didn't deserve this. but we. We don't know. And so that's why when it comes up, it can become a head game. Is it karma? Is it choice? Is it this? What is it? What's a Why did this happen in my life? So what I like to just kind of end that thought on is that we don't know why it happens, but we do know what the answer is. They all say the same thing. Forgiveness is a stoppage of karma because karma is action. That's direct quote from the law of one. And also the same thing Hinduism and Buddhism says, you forgive, you love others. Uh, I think this was the original teachings of Jesus before they got distorted. Love others like you love yourself. It's within most religions. Most every religion has some sort of love and treat others like yourself, like you would treat yourself and love. Forgive others. This is a basic tenet because that is how you stop karma. So I'm all on board with everything you said there. And where I, I love that we're talking about this because my mind has always kind of been very. I very much like take on what other people say and I try to see how that kind of fits in with my current understanding of the world and my framework. And I think where this conversation gets interesting, right. Is like, you know, there are, I guess you got to put air quotes around it, right? Like if there are kids who terrible things happen, let's say shooting incidences or, you know, child trafficking, you know, it, it becomes very interesting in my opinion of saying, okay, if there is this karmic cycle occurring, if they chose this life to experience in order to help awaken people in this physical reality, I think you kind of answered this, but I'm going to just propose it as a straightforward question in this physical reality. How much of it is my responsibility to go out and actually try to stop those things from occurring? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question, man. The law of one, it, and there was a specific part of the law of one that <laughs> they asked <laughs> take the your, question. Take your time with it. Exactly how they were. 
Yeah. So I'm trying to remember the exact quote, so I don't scuff it too much. Law of One is written in a Q&A format. And so there's questions asked and then answers given. So the question was asked, if there are kids starving in Africa, do I let them starve? Because it's what, you know, like what we're talking about. Am I supposed to just let them starve? Am I supposed to do good? Like, what am I supposed to do here? Or do I feed them? And the answer was, the response is feed the kids. That's what the kids need. You feed them if you have the resources. But you just, if you can't control it, you don't, you can't, there's nothing you can do. So you've just got to understand so you don't suffer and so that you can help the world. And, you know, there's there's a lot to that question. It's a difficult question to an- answer. But I think the response to, to things that you can stop from happening, it wouldn't be in your field if it wasn't part of your opportunity to alleviate your own karma or to, you wouldn't have any control. So I say that the universe is so intelligent that it will give you situations to clear your own karma and to love and forgive. And if you have that opportunity, you take that opportunity, not only because it will help others, mostly because it will help others, but it will also help you in the sense of like, it will help you reach a state of suffering less. And so we want to help the world as much as we can. And I think that this whole game is smart enough to know I'm going to put you in this situation. If there's this lady crossing the road, she looks like she's going to get hit and I'm there. I'm going to help her. If I'm not there, I'm not going to say that it's wrong that it happened because I don't know. That's one of the biggest tenets of my teachings that I really try to relate to people. The, there's something I originally heard from Alan Watts many years ago, and it has stuck with me to this day. The amount of given knowledge that we could obtain in any moment is infinite. We'll never know the full story of why things are in this life. We won't know because it's impossible for it to f- us to fit it in our brains. Every single minute detail, not even in our brains, because I think our brains are more of a receiver, but we just don't have the capacity to even do that. So there's an infinite amount of things happening that we won't really know the reasons why they're happening. And all we can do at our best is guess as to why this story is playing out and what have other humans come to as conclusions and what have I experienced in my life that could lead me to have a more harmonious point of view? Because again, I don't think there's a point of view that can explain at a greater length and detail and, and more in harmony and more in perfection of everything that's happening than reincarnation as to why these things happen. But in essence, if you have an opportunity to help, to serve others, you take the opportunity. But if things are out of your control, then let them be as they are. I think that's an excellent answer. I think that's that's excellent, right? I mean, if you go to a gas station and some girl, let's say child comes up to you and says that they're being sex trafficked, it's like, yeah, do everything in your power to help them. Don't just like, (laughs) you know, throw them back to the wolves. But then whenever you extrapolate that out and you talk about, you know, war refugees in Ukraine and I'm sitting in America, it's like, yeah, that's terrible, but like, there's not really much I can do about it. It, it, it almost, I love the way you answer that. Cause it almost provides a framework for understanding like the limitations of what you can do. And I think within that answer, there's like this underlying, I'm not sure if you said this or not, but maybe I'm just proposing it on top is 
you know, it, it helps you. So you're able to maintain a, I don't really even like to say that I was going to say like maintain a high vibration, but, but it's, I guess it's to be able to spread love in your most immediate surroundings, as opposed to just be sitting here, you know, in this state of fear, worry with regards to something that's happening on the other side of the world. Yeah, man, this game is so complex. There's so much to it. There's supposedly billions of people. (laughs) There's a lot of people out here. Let's say that. Um, And imagine all the different karmas that are having to play out and how complex this game would have to be. So all you can do is really focus on your own game. And through my research and, and studies, it seems as though that a lot of the game is about your personal choices, your personal choices. All this whole game can be dialed down to reactions. Um, pretty much everything you do is a reaction in a sense to the environment, to your thoughts, to everything. So, you know, your reaction can come into a state of being can come into what you do. You can break that down a little bit, but that's all you can do. So if you're starting to worry about the world, that's like one of the first things you learn when you're really getting into teachings that have been around for thousands of years. It's like, you can't control it. Stoicism did that really well. I love stoicism, oh, yeah. how they view uh, the what you can and can't control. So if you can't control most of it, then all you can do is, yeah, help what you can. If you can't do anything, You've got to you've got to trust that there's a field, there's an energy, and if you tune in enough, you will tap into that energy yourself. And you don't got to only trust, but you know it. And I think that's where you start to have those subjective experiences that science can't explain. And that's why I've chosen to not be a traditional scientific researcher because there's so much out there that science can't can't explain. And if it can't explain it, then I want to see who can explain it. And that's what I've started to really get into for many years. And I have been into is how can we explain these people putting their hands through stones in India? How, how, how are they able to do that? Um, and there's like, you can see it's there. It's still there in certain places. And so how are these things possible? How, how have people been around to, you know, and you know, there comes down to, you know, knowledge that has been kept from people is humanity ready, yada, yada. You know, there, I think there's people that think humanity is not ready too much to hit. Cause I did hit on that earlier, like humanity is not ready for certain things, but there are ready for other things as well. It's not, I think the negative will try to convince people that are not ready for any of it, but I think humanity is getting there. And I think in the past two years, especially at the time of this recording, we are, and have progressed in massive leaps. I feel like the pandemic had to have expedited that process as well, which is kind of funny because it feels like, well, maybe we just shouldn't go into politics right now. That's probably something we just shouldn't go touch on. (laughs) I was going to say, it just feels like when that occurs, when people start getting locked down, it feels like that in some way, shape or form actually helped propel us to really take inventory and value of like what was important in life. And yeah, I, I, it feels like that was a huge catalyst for it. I'm not sure if and this is where it's interesting though, is like, as we increase our frequency and actually I might've seen a video that you made on this a long time ago. It's like, you know, if you're at that state of joy or something, it like is equivalent to the frequency of someone who's like in this of like 10,000 people or something who are in the state of fear. 
And so I, I guess there's something to be said for as more people start to raise up, I assume that there would be like this exponential kind of curvature that occurs within the consciousness of humans as a whole that would then, you know, take us on that catalyst upward. Yeah. I mean, as a human, we can, one of us can lift up 70,000 plus even much more than that, uh, just by our own level, by our own state of being. And a lot of people forget that and they think, Oh, I need to do things to help humanity, uh, in terms of like physically doing things. But, one concept that I think is often forgot is that you can actually just raise up the ocean because if you think of humanity's consciousness as an ocean of water. And if I am dumping water into there, like I'm feeding it a so much that the entire imagine everyone is floating on the water. Imagine everyone else goes up and when everyone else goes up, they feel more harmonious so if I'm in bringing in that, just as uh, Dr. Hawkins used to talk about, there's only a handful of people on the planet that have ever reached a thousand or enlightenment, like tr- like the highest levels of enlightenment. There's a lot of people that have reached, not a lot, but probably like 10 to 20 that have reached 700 plus in, in the billions of people that have ever existed. So that we know of, that in, not in all of his, I'm sure there's been some that we don't know of. But in our recorded history so far, there's only been a couple. So if it's a logarithmic scale, which means 10 to the, I just want to really hammer home how big of a difference this can be. Think about 10 to the 20th. Okay. How big is 10 to the 20th? It's, it's 20 zeros behind 10. Okay. That's the lowest level of consciousness. That's the lowest. Okay. We think a million's a lot. Millions is six zeros. So that's how much the human body at the lowest energy can have. Now compare 20 zeros to a thousand zeros. And think about the difference. Because we think about the difference between a million and a billion when it comes. I don't think you can conceptualize that. (laughs) So when I say raising the ocean. Yeah, right. it's, It's almost it's impossible to really comprehend how much of a difference that is. So when I said earlier that you can raise your level of consciousness by 10 or 20, that means uh, it would be like if you are at courage is 200. So say you go to 210, you're going to add 10 more zeros. That's a lot, actually, because the difference between, again, a million and a billion dollars is a lot. So when we think about the power that each individual human has that they don't realize it because they're so caught up in the game and the game is what it is it's not bad by any means but they're caught up in the game of whether it's um relationships finances feeling this way their ego it's most it's can be encompassed archetypically as just ego games they're caught up in the game so much and positionalities that they don't realize that if 10 of us 10 you know uh, right now we have hundreds of thousands of followers and if 10 of us were to reach a state of enlightenment do you know how much of a difference that would make in humanities it would be insurmountable the amount of difference and um, that's why even in the law of one they say if humanity chose to polarize as positive in one moment all of us we could do it it would be possible and that's why people sleep 
I'm not saying that's why, but this is just another thing to point how people sleep on the power of humanity. You have people like Jesus telling us, you move a mustard seed, you know, you can move, you have the faith of a, you know, you move mountains with the faith of a mustard seed, right? Something like that. It, you know, I scuffed that, but it's close, <laughs> close <enough laughs> to that. Close enough. <laughs> and um, you see that, right, close enough. <laughs> then you see that there's um, other traditions that are saying the same thing. We are powerful together. Um, and yet each one of us is also 10 to the thousand potentially powerful by themselves. So this is multi empowering because you can make an incredible difference just in who you are much more of a difference. Might I say, let me just say this. Might I say you can make much more of a difference in your state of being than what you do. Just going to say that that's why you see an let the proof be in the freaking pudding. Look at all these ascended masters that just sit and they meditate and they do, what do they do? They just are in that state of realization. People don't realize how much this helps humanity because it's not tangible. We want to see people spend billions of dollars to do this or to do that because we think that's what helping is. But the real heroes of humanity are the people that are holding up humanity buy the freaking overalls with their own level of consciousness. So <laughs> I got to say shout out to all the people that have realized this for thousands of years, because this is not something that is new. What I'm saying is not new at all. This has been something that has been around um, again for thousands of years. And it's something that you can't prove to a scientist. It's something that you can't say, well, this is the amount of difference it may, it makes. It's not quantifiable. And that's why it's so hard for people to imagine and actually surrender to that process. And only people that have reached a certain level will do that. I mean, I'm not at that level. I'm not there. I've got plenty of things that I want to do. I've got plenty that I am interested in doing and helping the world in certain ways. And, you know, that's why I think Hinduism and Buddhism both are like, yeah, you might not even reach it in this lifetime. You just got to keep generating good karma. Like, it's well known that, that yeah, it's probably... It may be this lifetime, it's possible, but you just, you don't expect it. It's not like zero to 100 real quick, which it's said that certain beings have done that. I've heard certain teachings that have said Jesus had one lifetime and he went from zero to 100 or zero to a thousand real quick. And, you know, the Buddha is kind of the opposite that he had many, many lifetimes, many, many lifetimes. And it took him lifetimes of effort and, um, forgiveness to get to the point where he became a buddha which is an awakened one essentially is how that's translated or uh, uh one who knows however you want to put that translation so it's not something that you know you you have to obtain i think some people get lost in that i'm more just on my personal viewpoint that i really resonate with the teachings of the law of one that if you are more than 50 percent in service to others in whatever way state of being doing then you'll that's enough that's enough to to move on to the next density and i i've i've seen that in my own life and i've felt into that and you know i could absolutely be wrong but that's what feels good to me and i'm going to keep following that you know well even that's like an interesting point right of like what feels right you know and that's something that science can't really account for, right? Is going into that intuition of like, what feels right? What feels like the next decision? What feels like it makes sense? What, what feels like it's the right answer? And 
it, it feels to me like there's a whole bunch of truth that can be derived from what feels right. You know, even even going back to my story in the Akashic Records, like if it feels right that this is what occurred, and if I see the physical manifestation of it, you know, eroding that addiction, it's like then that feeling of it being right almost intrinsically makes it right. And I don't need any sort of scientific physical world object to tell me that it is right. Because now that I'm trusting my intuition, it is right. Yeah, that's the whole framework for the levels of consciousness, my friend. It's kinesiology muscle testing. Um, The whole premise is that when you're at the level of 200 or above, that your body stays strong in the presence of truth. Uh, how, How they do that with his work is that you put your arm out to the side and you have somebody test you and they'll say something or they'll put something close to you. For example, a classic that Dr. Hawkins used to use was if you put an artificial sweetener up to your heart and push down on your arm, your arm would go weak because it was in the presence of a life taking force. And that wasn't in truth. It was in what he called falsehood. But if you put an apple at your heart, somebody pressed down, it would be strong because it was in the presence of life giving forces, life affirming, whatever you want to call that. So the, the premise there is that he wrote a whole book called truth versus falsehood and he kinesiology muscle tested ridiculous amount of stuff so he tested religions he tested specific verses of bibles and he calibrated the level are they in love are they in acceptance peace willingness i probably should have said this at the beginning (laughs) but he uh he calibrated all of it based on that premise that you when you are in integrity when you have reached that threshold of letting go of ego to a certain threshold of what they call courage you can feel truth so when i feel into that 50 percent in service to others they, all you've got to do is love others more than you don't 51 percent. that's that's it that feels like truth to me um and that's why i you know i can't explain that and everybody has their own opinions so you could say anything about that but that's just again how i feel that's where it gets interesting too is you know in dolores cannon's uh book which one was it uh between life and death she talks about how Uh, they talk about like the afterlife and people who get super caught up in like the whole Christian belief system. This was the uh, angle that they were presenting it as where if you believe that, you know, you're going to hell when you die for whatever reason, but if you just believe that, then they have to like go to this place of like sleeping in order for them to kind of like get reacquainted with like the spirit realm or something. And so uh, it's, it's really fascinating how there's almost like this, underlying truth of reality that we're able to exude or project because for me for the longest time i was kind of like you know whatever you want to believe is true like if someone comes up to me and is like uh you know you're uh you know let's say you're i don't even know what a good example i don't want to be negative about myself (laughs) so that's why i'm holding back uh but let's say the painting on the wall is ugly right it's like, that's their truth. You know, it's like, okay, cool. Like if that's what you believe, but it's like not my belief, but then it's interesting where you go to like this next stage of actually being able to have a scientific measurement. And I'm curious, you know, cause you even said that you went to college for kinesiology. So like how, how reliable is that form of scientific evidence of using muscle testing in that regard of somebody pushing down on your arm? Like, how would you be able to mentally calibrate you know, the amount of, let's say, pressure that you are pushing onto that arm. So like, can you, can you kind of walk me through how that science of muscle testing is actually a legitimate source of 
physics in order to demonstrate our internal frequency? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's physics. I'd say it's more physiology, uh, just okay. kind of physiology, human body. Um, but the it's been double blind, placebo studied. I mean, it's been hundreds of studies done on this that it's possible. Uh, it's it's as far as I know, it's statistically significant, um, which means that it's pretty close to basically been proven. It, it has been proven up to a certain amount of error. So. How that works is like you have to be above 200 to even do this. Um, if you're not above 200, you can't tell what truth is. So you can't. So this is how Dr. Hawkins should say there's a built in mechanism so the negative can't use it because he didn't want to, when he figured it out and discovered it, he didn't want to share it with the world because a negative could use it for negative purposes. Because you can figure out literally anything in history, in the past and in the, in the present, you can figure out what any what the calibrations and the, the truth or falsehood of anything is so he didn't want the negative to use it but then he realized that anyone above or under 200 which would be you'd be in pride and below you could not tell when your arm went strong it's very clear if you go watch dr hawkins videos when people get tested i've even done testing myself and it's very clear you can tell when your arm isn't it's so wild because it doesn't make sense to you unless you've done it but you can try and keep your arm up but it doesn't like it, it there's something about it there's some built-in mechanism to humans where you just go weak in the presence of falsehood and I, it's hard for me to explain to you how that works but it's like it'll stay strong but then it'll just you'll have a it, because it's instant because a lot of times when they're testing they won't even say, they won't even tell you what they're testing. Uh, for example, they might say, does the thing that I'm holding in my mind calibrate at 200? And if it does, stay strong. And then so the person has no idea of what they're saying. Uh. Um, so that way there's not an error of the person just wants to believe it or doesn't want to believe it based on their own positionalities. Uh, but, you know, it takes, it's very hard to do. Uh, this is not something that is super easy to do. Um, I know there's some people out there that have spent their entire life or most of their life dedicated to 20 years of research and millions of calibrations, not associated with Dr. Hawkins, trying to figure out how to get it to work. So it's an, it's an interesting thing, but that's kind of the, the basis and, uh, it takes a lot of trial and error, but once you have a good tester and a good, uh, I guess you could say person who gets tested <laughs> and it's, it's something that works. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's super cool, man. Um, yeah, there was, there is one more question uh, before we get you out of here that I had for you. Something that, cause you love talking about the games, the video games, the way the universe is set up as a game. I was curious because there was something I came across before my spiritual awakening, when it was like trying to get more stuff done. Um, and maybe there's an answer in here that actually relates to human design as well. But I remember finding online something that was talking about like gamifying your life. And if you go on YouTube, I'm sure you can find plenty of videos that are like about gamifying your life. 
and they broke down how video why video games keep people's attentions you know it's about you know making progress to the next level you can actually track and measure your next level like you know how much xp you have and when you'll get to the next level and you know there's an element of challenge and how whenever you level up there becomes a bit more challenge it becomes a bit more difficult to get to the next level so i was curious of i guess a have you ever come across this idea of actually taking elements from a I don't want to call it lower frequency, but like video games, implementing it into your own life to, I guess, spice up your life. And if so, or if not, how does this even kind of jive with the whole human, what was it, des- human design that we were talking about earlier? So when you say elements of the game, can you give me some examples? Because I haven't heard of it oh, in okay. that way. Sure. Um I mean, you could break this down. I, I think the the main metrics is like making, you know, milestones for yourself. Like, say it's making uh, five videos or something. You make five YouTube videos. You give yourself a reward of some sort. Um, if you write, if you're writing an essay and it's like a ten thousand word essay, every you know, you give yourself a reward after ten. Then you give a reward to yourself after a hundred. Then after a thousand words, so that way you're like implementing this game process in order to kind of like level up like you you know how like characters level up and the way that uh yeah you become stronger and all that stuff and so the idea is just taking that and applying it to your own life where you're then setting up this system of rewards and small challenges that then turn into bigger challenges yeah i mean that's how you progress in a physical sense you can really do whatever the hell you want you just gotta um set the goal and you you know, we didn't even talk about Law of Assumption or Neville Goddard at all today, but it's been a big part of my journey. Uh, understanding that everything is imagination. And if everything is a thought, like I said at the very beginning of this conversation, then we create everything with our thoughts. Um, not only thoughts, but people don't realize that thoughts and feelings a lot of times go together. So it's not only just thoughts, but it's also feelings. So to game of to not get too far down that rabbit hole because we've talked about it a lot today already let's just say that the gamifying is absolutely great 10 out of, what 10 out of 10 would recommend <laughs> <laughs> cool um so let's wrap it up i mean dude you've dropped immense knowledge i appreciate it uh I love giving the floor to my guests. If you have anything you want to promote, um, we briefly talked about your podcast and your book. If you want to promote those, if you want to encourage people to do something, the floor is yours. And with that being said, I will grab any link that you want to send me, or maybe you already did send it. I'll throw those in the show notes below. So feel free to reference those that will. Yeah. So first off, hope you enjoyed the podcast today, my friends. Thank you for having me on was an incredible episode and i feel like there's a lot uh we dropped in there and yeah just grateful to be here with you and so we i have my book 10 secrets of awakening i cover like i said earlier reincarnation i cover quantum physics the science behind it also some things we didn't talk about external influences on consciousness because you know you're not gonna talk about a whole book and in, in you know one podcast there's no shot but um maybe next check time. that out if you're interested in a lot of the topics we talked about today yeah, and the time, right? So uh, check that out. Other than that, 
I've got that. My major things right now are I'm just making content short form for Instagram and and um, University Game. My podcast is my um, it's like my child. Uh, that is where I have most of my in-depth conversations and I'm starting an in-person podcast tour starting on the October 14th and I'm going to travel around from Texas to California to interview as many people in person and really have some in-depth conversations. So I'll be talking to Robert Grant. I'll be talking to hopefully some other big names that I already have on, but I don't want to reveal too much because you know, what's the fun if it don't save some stuff, right? So that's what I'll be doing here is making more podcasts, be putting on clips and shit and having fun along the way, not taking it too serious, playing the game of life. And, and, uh, that's, um, that's pretty much it. Other than that, I, I dropped my link tree for you. So you just put the link tree and you can find all the things that I do. Um, and yeah, I've got, if you want to take my classes and shit, I hold classes every, every couple months I have, multiples of those classes that are previously done in my patreon got a patreon that a lot of people like where they take the classes that i already have and um meditations and all that good stuff so that's pretty much it my friend it's an honor man uh, i'm super grateful for your time <laughs> that's pretty much it <laughs> so there's tons of shit you get from you so that's the important thing um dude nick this was awesome i mean dude super grateful for your time thank you so much for coming on sharing your knowledge uh, you know, I really don't have much else to add. I mean, you know, next time we do this, it'll have to be in person. That's like the only thing. Cause I could tell there's a little delay here, but, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to come out to San Diego. So we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. We'll stay in touch, man. But I know we'll, we'll definitely have to have another conversation in the future, but until then conscious monkeys, thank you so much. If you're still listening, God bless you. This is awesome. I'm glad you guys are absorbing all this. Go check out Nick on all of his stuff. That's how I got to know him. And that's why this whole thing manifested the way it did. But with that being said, I love you all. And I will see you guys in the sixth dimension. Peace.